Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, November 20th, 843-661-0937. Our number, good morning, Josh. Morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Any exciting news over the weekend, Royal Rev of Radio? Oh, you know, just the normal stuff. Uh, you know, didn't come to work, went to a ball game. Any exciting stuff in your world, Josh? Not really. Okay. <laughs> so everybody had a boring and uneventful week. <laughs> A couple of things happened that kind of uh, make this week more fun. The Tigers beat North Carolina. The Gamecocks beat um, Kentucky. So they are both on winning streaks as they head into Williams-Brice Stadium Saturday night. True. Uh, Programming note, if you've got your – if you need your political fix, you better get it today and tomorrow. Because we're in college football, la-la land. Come Wednesday morning, uh, we'll do our show as usual, um, 6.05 or 6 or whenever it is. We'll go on the air, but we won't be in this studio. We'll be at Rivals of Store Divided, simulcasting with our good friend and um and fellow community broadcaster employee uh, or contractor. Contractor, uh, the bad boy is for me and our contractors. Right? I think, yeah, <laughs> um, you guys won't hire us full time. <laughs> if you do that, you got to make us part of the um p- part of the branding and marketing and insurance <laughs> and all these other things. So, can we keep these guys at arm's length? I think it's what um is what community has decided to mm. do. But anyway, um, we'll meet Wednesday morning at Rivals of Store Divided, and we'd love to have you join us. Um, I don't know how many of you out there listening, uh, there's a convergence of pop culture and sports and entertainment and politics and all these other sorts of things. The one thing I've noticed, being a uh, kind of an old-timer, really a lifer at the Gamecock-Tiger rivalry, is there will be people that don't care much about either team until this week. I mean, yeah, it's an event. Of I mean, it's it's a football game, yes, but it's an event. Yeah, people that don't pay attention to college football generally pay a little attention maybe this it's week. It's a little bit like racing in the Indy 500. Right. You know, a lot of folks say, I, I want to go to Indianapolis. I don't care about racing, but I want to go once in my life to the Indianapolis. Horse racing in the Kentucky Derby. Um, exactly. Did you know who won the five feature at Sarasota? No, I don't have any idea at Sarasota. Um, but I went to the Kentucky Derby once. You know, had a buddy of mine who stumbled on some tickets some way. So I had a rich friend, uh, you know, and had a box or whatever. So so the non-horse racing fan at times would go, well, let me ask you a question. You're not a horse racing fan. Would you would you accept two tickets to the Kentucky Derby? Darn right. Sure you would. You're not a big racing fan. Would you take two tickets to the Annapolis 500? Sure. So, so the Clemson-Carolina game is a little bit like that. Um, you've got these loyal fan bases that know the backup running back is going into the game, what the injury report is. And then you've got fans on the periphery that go, look, you guys can have it all year, but I do want to be a part of that. Here's a big party. And I, and I want to head, you know, I want to be a, um, I want to be in Columbia or in Clemson uh, when all that starts um, happening. It's kind of interesting. You'll, you'll watch. I don't know if I see as much of that today as I used to, but there was a day that someone would get invited and not really know who to pull for. I mean, I've had people I would invite I, back in the day when tickets were not, you know, a small fortune, I would have a, an extra ticket or two and somebody would say, Hey, he's never been, but he'd like to go. Who does he pull for? He doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, he's asking who does this buy an orange shirt or a, or a garnet shirt. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit bigger. The audience and universe of people who pay attention, um, get bigger. I would imagine that at rivals of store divided, if we have people attend live and in live and in living color, they will be invested in the rivalry in, in some way, shape, or form. But but I mean this sincerely. Um, my pulling for USC 
as as high as it's ever been. My pulling against Clemson is probably as low as it's ever been. I don't know, getting older and just not being consumed by uh, the perfect weekend, the Gamecocks win or the Tigers lose. The Gamecocks winning is still exciting, exhilarating. It's a lot of fun. The Tigers losing, uh, yeah, I don't want them to win them all because they'll end up in that playoff, and that's bad for our program, Red, but they end up in that in that playoff. Um, but other than that, my, my, my intensity of pulling against Clemson has waned. And I guess that's just a sign of getting older and um and not having but so much intensity to go around. It's probably, it's probably, <laughs> you got uh, yeah, to pick my battles, yeah. my, my intensity fights. I do want to mention this. But it was a good win. for the. I mean, I went to the Gamecock game. Uh, you had a great tailgate, which I enjoyed. Too the, big a tailgate. It, it was pretty big. Yeah, too it was big. big. Too big. Um, uh, Yeah, a lot of, um, we, I told you, we celebrate. Um, the life of a young man who died, unfortunately, early in life. Biggest Gamecock fan I've ever known. I mean, just the biggest Gamecock fan I've ever known in my life, including me at 21 or me at 18 or me at 15 or whatever age it was. And there was a day in my life I could almost tell you the backup left tackle and, you know, the third string wide receiver. I've moved on to, to things that keep me gainfully employed and fed. <laughs> And, and worrying about a bunch of 20-year-old football players didn't do it for me. But um, but this kid was, and I mean this sincerely, probably the biggest Gamecock football fan I know. Um, unfortunately and tragically lost his life early. He was a friend of both of my boys. And my oldest son came to me one day and said, hey, um, I want to do a tailgate to commemorate, you know, his fanship, so to speak. And we did one one year and had 20 or 30 people, did another the second year had 40 or 50 people, and I don't know. We had half the stadium there um, it was Saturday pretty, night. It was a big, big deal, and um, I always get the university. They're kind enough to contribute something. Uh, we gave him, a, I think, a Shane Beamer signed football last year. Got Spencer to sign a helmet this year nice. to kind of commemorate, you know, the, the event. So it doesn't bring the kid back to life, and good Lord, it could be mine. I guess that's my reason for wanting to be so involved. I mean, that could have easily been, you've heard the story of my son, and it could have been, I mean, the, the great fear the parent of an addict has is they they get a hold of some bad drugs and they lose their lives. You know, that that's the great fear. It's almost like, I mean, I've heard parents of addicts that say, you know, once I found out he was in jail, I could sleep at night. You know, when I didn't know where he was and he's out on the street, you can't. I mean, it just drives you crazy because you've got something you love that desperately just kind of out of the wild, wild world um, and, and not having a good bearing about him, um, so to speak. But anyway, yeah, Rev came by. We had the Clemson game on television. Um, had some good barbecues, steamed oysters and mm-hmm. whatnot. And um, I told Rev this morning, I'm getting too old for back-to-back weekend big tailgates. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting too old. And I told Rev, he said, you going? I said, I don't know, man. Unless a lot of my Clemson friends text me and say, hey, where are you tailgating? Then I feel like I just can't believe you would not go this weekend. I've done it so long, man. I've told you that. I've been been going forever, and we got a long weekend, and my bride and I may head off uh, to somewhere other than (laughs) other than um, Columbia, unless those aggravating Tiger fans start texting me early in the week saying, "Hey, what was your spot again?" And it's just you know, I told Tammy last night. I said that's the only reason that that we'll probably go is if Clemson fans that you know, and I mean this sincerely, you know that I do. Um, some of the best friends I got in this world of Clemson fans, and it seems like you know when I'm when, when the game's in Clemson, they'll always reach out to me. Hey, if you need somewhere to tailgate, we're at such and such. 
And they take, hey, you need a, I got an extra parking pass if you need one. Got an extra couple of tickets if you need them. But I always try to return the favor. So if today and tomorrow I get inundated with some Clemson fans saying, you know, where are you parking again? Where are you tailgating again? You got an extra ticket? It, it'll probably motivate me to go back. But I'll tell you, two big tailgates on back-to-back weekends, um, when you're getting a little older, <laughs> it takes it takes more wind out of you uh, than you can imagine. Okay. I do want to take exception with our good friend um, Shane Beamer because you're right. I mean, a um, kind of an ugly but but important it, it win was for the Gamecocks. I stayed um, to the very end. You punt eight times, you normally don't win. Yep. But they figured out a way to grind it and grind it and grind it. And this team plays hard. I mean, they're not exceptionally talented. Clemson has better players. I mean, let's let's settle that at six fifteen. On the Monday morning, Clemson has better players. There's a reason they're, what, seven point? I mean, I've seen it six and a half and seven and a half. Let's argue it's like seven. They're a touchdown favorite on the road. So the guys that know what they're talking about say Clemson's got not significantly better players, but better players. If the game were in Death Valley, it'd probably be 10 or 11 uh, point spread. But last year it was 14, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been 17-ish. Um, so, so it'll be, I mean, I think it'll be a competitive game. Clemson's got better players. I'm sorry, Tigers. I got to say this. You ready? Clemson's not elite anymore. Uh, they, they've taken a step back. Uh, Alabama and Georgia are elite. Oregon looks elite. A couple of by Michigan, when they're not stealing signals, not look as elite. Um, I told Rev at the tailgate, we were arguing with a, a, some guy showed up, big Michigan fan, and we were, of course, letting him watch the Michigan game. And I said, I was a decent player. If I didn't know what you were about to run, I was a pretty damn good player. If I knew what you were about to run. Ouch. Yeah, but it would be like, you know, in baseball. Remember the Astros? Mm, of course. I mean, all those guys are good hitters. They're a lot better hitters if they know what the pitcher's about to about to throw. So if you're a defensive back and you know it's a run play, I mean, you know, you just rush the line of scrimmage. I mean, you get in the box and you try to play run. Um, if you know it's a pass, you don't have to honor play action. So it, it's, a, it's a great advantage knowing – you know what what the uh, what the other team's plays are, but the one thing I want to say is this: um, Beamer is doing similar things to Dabo. He, he's an excitable, uh, younger, uh, happy camper, so to speak. Every day's the Fourth of July, is the way I like to explain those kind of guys. But Shane, yesterday or may I think it may have been Saturday night. Um, I didn't watch this live, but I think Saturday night. He kind of, um, he challenged the student section. And he said, look, well, I, I love the cockpit, but you you folks, y'all got to be there at the end of the game. We need you to be there at the end of the game. I sent Shane a text yesterday, and I said, look, for here's what I've gathered. My daughter's a student there. Your kid, both your boys were, mm-hmm. were students there. I'm led to believe that you can get an Uber to the stadium, but immediately following the game, you're stuck. I mean, if you didn't, and, and you, the last thing you want are these kids having a big time, right? I mean, let, let's be honest. A lot of these kids are having a big time. The last thing you want is them getting behind the wheel of an automobile. So they Uber to the stadium. They've got these these lots where a lot of the students, you know, uh, pregame. <laughs> they have pregame activities. I'll just leave it there. Um, and they either walk back to their dorm rooms. I mean, it's an off-campus stadium. And it's, it's, it's a problem. And I don't know that everybody understands that. It's easy to challenge, oh, you damn students, you're leaving early again. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're a student and it's halftime and you can catch an Uber or you got to wait to the end of the game and you can't catch an Uber and you're essentially stuck or stranded for a couple of hours after the game, 
I, I like football, but I'd probably rather be near my dorm or near somewhere other than this off-campus stadium. And I just think the university should explore, maybe in partnership with the city of Columbia, some sort of a rail system similar to MARTA in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a daily, daily thing, but there are enough going on now. And, and in essence, I mean, that it's, it's not yet, but if they keep buying property, it's going to be an extension of the campus. I mean, the stadium is for, for I don't know, most of my youth rev, it was a long way down there. Sure. I mean, the campus was here, and they bought up this land and bought this land and bought this land. And, bought, and all of a sudden, the stadium's not way out there, but it's still out there from, I guess, the um, the center, the epicenter of the universities, the horseshoe. So the stadium's a good walk. I mean, that, that's a haul. Um, I don't want to do it. I can't imagine many kids uh, want to do that. But they've got to create some systematic way to get kids from the stadium back to the center of campus. And to me, they've not done that yet. I mean, they, they dabbled in a bus system, but but I've heard you can walk faster than depending on the buses. The buses are very, very hit and miss. It'll be interesting if they make some progress there. Because, uh, like I said, Beamer's trying to challenge the students, but, but I, you know, the students are basically, I read some uh, tweets yesterday, well, I mean, figure out a way to get us there and get us back. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, they, if, if my daughter Ubers to the stadium, and tailgates with us for a little while. The last thing I want her is standing around an empty, vacant stadium for two hours after a game or walking beside a road where 80,000 people are trying to get home. I mean, that's just, you're asking for for trouble. Um, now, I'll carry her home, you know, after every game. But, you know, a lot of kids are from New Jersey. and <laughs> Their parents aren't. Uh, you know, in uh, in Columbia, can't get them home, so they've got to work on that. Yeah, we we stay to the very end, but we're just resigned to the fact that we're going to be waiting for a while. So we just take our time getting back to the parking spot. We know that when we get out, we're just going to have to wait. That's just how it is. And I will say this: the the Highway Patrol does a great job of, I guess, considering how many people are and how many cars are getting out of there when they turn all the lanes of Bluff Road out uh, toward the interstate and they, they get, you've got them all going and then your left lane goes northbound, your right lanes go southbound and the cones, if you've ever been through it, it's pretty intense. But It is pretty intense. They, they, do, they do a good job of yeah, that. You've you got to pay attention though. You'll get the wrong lane and go the wrong way. That's right. Uh, but but I want to say this again. they got to figure out a way to get the students yep. back to their dorms or back to wherever it is they go, five points or wherever, after the game. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. A couple of um, notes this morning. You ready? Rosalind um, Carter passed away at the age of 96. Uh, Jimmy Carter, her husband, uh, is still alive in hospice in Plains, Georgia at the age of 99. Um, I mean, I don't even want to include, but he was a bad president or but she was the first lady of a 77 years of matrimony. Awesome. Good, good and decent people. I mean, I'll just yep. leave it there. And I think I read the National Review this morning, and they were basically, you know, paying respect to Jimmy Carter and a lot of the commenters, but he was still a bad president. Okay, but I mean, save that for another day. I, I just exactly. think, I mean, they, they were good and decent people. Um, I'm a Southern conservative. They were not. But they were every bit as moral and ethical and decent as 99.9% of the people listening to my and in my voice, and I was thinking about how long of a post-presidency he had. Left office in 1980. So for 43 years, he was a former president. That's pretty wild. For 43 years, he was a former um, president. 77 years of matrimony, 
Uh, Rosalind Carter, Godspeed, and God bless the uh, the Carters. As um, Jimmy Carter is alive at ninety nine, she lives to be um to be ninety six. Speaking of age, uh, Joe Biden today is eighty one years old. Hmm. Stop. What? <laughs> I just there's there's probably so much to say, but I won't. He's fair game. The Carters are not true. I mean, he's fair game. Yep. 81. One number matters to me, Josh. You ready? What's that? In the latest NBC News poll, Trump is up five in Michigan. Whoa. Mm. That's crazy. I mean, that I know it's a snapshot. I get it. Polling is inexact. Uh, you trust the polls, but you don't trust them when they, you know, show another side of the story. But I, mean, I trust the polls to some degree. I'll accept it's the best science we have. I mean, the science of political polling is inexact, but it's the best we've got. I, I'll say this. I wondered last week how in the world Trump got to 50. Remember those couple of polls that came out? Because I've always said Trump's ceiling is 47, maybe 47 and a half. Trump is not going to get to 50 because he just ticks too many people off. I mean, there are too many groups out there that don't like uh, Donald Trump. He's driven a wedge in the, I mean, his own party. So he's not going to get to 50, 51%. He's just not got, not that likable a political figure. But he gets to 51. And I'm going like, how in the world did he get to 51? So I talked to Haley a little bit, and he said, look at the African-American vote. 26% of African-Americans say they're voting for Donald Trump. Now, I don't buy that. I mean, I don't think it's 26%. Um, will it be more than 8 or 9? Probably. Um, inflation is probably the one... I don't know, Rev, the, the, the universal issue that Americans have to deal with. Um, some African-Americans pay attention to policy. Some whites pay attention to policy. Some Hispanics pay attention to policy. Most don't. But there's not a an African-American price or Hispanic price or white price at the grocery store or gas station. And I think, you know, black people going to the grocery store, white people going to the grocery store, Hispanics going to the grocery store, see the, just, just the, the rampant inflation they're having to deal with. And they're they're like you can't blame it on Trump anymore. I mean, every you know they blamed everything on Donald Trump really all trying. this time. You can't do that any longer. It must be that moron of the White House, and he's having an eighty first birthday. Birthday now. Here's the interesting part: it'll be the quietest presidential birthday you've ever heard in <laughs> yeah. your life. They don't want to bring attention. They to will that. not whisper. He's how old? <laughs> he's eighty one. Can't have an eighty one year old guy running for reelection. I mean, imagine that, guys. Joe Biden is eighty one. And asking for four more years. Do you still think he will be the nominee? I don't know. But, I, you know, I'm hearing some chatter that they have confronted him and he's real aggressively pushing back. I'm sure Joe, he wants well, to he, give up the I White mean, House. Joe's full of himself. Of course he is. Even in his demented state. Joe has been told, um, talking to, I'll give you an example. You saw the optic of Blinken when when uh, Biden calls Xi a dictator and Bill Oh, man. Oh, he cringed. No, not, don't do that. Um, I mean, that's not dementia. That's Biden being a dunce. I mean, there's a difference in Biden the dunce and Biden being mentally ill or Biden being cognitively um, declined. But I mean, there, there's a big difference. Biden didn't call Xi, a, or Xi Jinping. He didn't call him a dictator because he has dementia. He called him a dictator because he's a dunce. I mean, that's just one of those full paws that he's famous He's famous for. But um, But when you look at the Michigan poll, and it's got Trump plus five. You look at the the national polls, and they have Trump over 50%. 
And I'm telling you, I believe the indictments are baked in. I mean, I, I, I they're all accounted yeah. for. I mean, I, I just don't think there's anything out there. Well, maybe not all accounted for. I would imagine once they get front and center in some of these trials, you know, may, maybe they they change the landscape a touch. But I think most people have baked that in the cake. That um, what you know, if they get a conviction? Well, I mean, I don't think a conviction changes it. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I mean, unless there's some crazy information out there, like you and I were saying, if the mishandling of classified information led to a member of the Trump family or team allowing some enemy or combatant of the United States getting their hands on that information, I mean, that could change it. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of us would be concerned of that. I mean, I'm less of a yep. Trumpster if that's the case. Josh, I mean, you would be less inclined to be supportive of Trump if we found out he intentionally allowed classified information to make its way into an enemy combatant. I mean, all of us have to be, wow, can't, can't be that. I mean, you can't do that. There needs to be a stiffer punishment or, or or penalty for that yeah yeah i mean if you could prove that it was like he he's been like a chinese spy this whole time and <laughs> this was all a giant plot to destroy america then yes and but but that's not the case i mean you know right. as well as i do they're not going to find that they're going to find any mishandled classified information and trump's going to say everybody does right that they're going to say obstructed justice he said didn't you show up in my house with guns i mean am I, did you get what you came after Okay, I mean, you showed up at my gate with with men with guns in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> I, I just apparently, think there's always a, a disagreement between former administrations and the government accounting offices or whoever maintains control of those documents as to whether they are or not, or whether they belong to the former president or they don't. But but I want to go back to this, Rev. I don't know, and and, and I'm jumping the gun here, but but I'm kind of sort of not, guys. I mean, we've got today and tomorrow. And then Thanksgiving, and then it's I mean it, it's it's family plans and it's traveling and it's it's um I mean it's bowl games it's vacations it's people taking a week off I mean we're going to get to January in a, in a nanosecond and we've got a, a Iowa caucus January fifteenth so we're at the beginning of the election and I'm telling you if he's up five in Michigan with everything he's endured I I, I don't want to say this but he's going to be hard to catch. I mean, if that poll, if that Emerson poll is correct and Trump is up five in Michigan, it's going to be hard to beat him. Because I don't know what else you do. I mean, does Biden all of a sudden get, does he find the fountain of youth? I mean, does Gavin Newsom step in and, and, and Biden gets out of the way and they jump Kamala Harris and I mean, they, they've got themselves, you're married to an old man, a demented old man, and you, and you may have to just play the hand you're dealt. And, and yet if you play that hand, you're losing to Trump. Biden is not going to beat Trump. Joe yeah. Biden is... He, he's a demented old man who now the it's very obvious that he's been affected by his age. And he has a record of really being a bad president. He's a terrible president. That's the combination. He's an old man, but let's get back to normal. I mean, damn. You know, Trump drives me crazy. He's too much drama. And all of a sudden, you elect this old man. You know he's old. And even the Biden voters knew and probably had concerns about his mental well-being. I mean, you knew he was not anywhere near sharp as he once was, and he's never been real sharp uh, to begin with. But now all of a sudden, you've given the opportunity, and he sucks at the job. He's really bad at the job. And the alternative is who? Trump. And that's some of that is, is option A. Or it, 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 we go back to the binary choice. Old man, bad at the job. Little younger man, but appear to be much better at the job. Take a break. 
Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken, I want the facts. I don't want your opinion. How many jobs um, uh, what I call Biden create over the last three years? I don't think Biden's created any jobs, Williams. Oh, come on, man. Give me the facts. Well, I mean, I don't want your opinion. I want the I want the facts. You believe that government creates jobs. Well, I believe that government gets in the way of creating jobs. Okay, okay. Let's let's say how many he create. I I don't have any idea. I mean, the, the, the okay. I tell you, I tell you. Okay, well, I felt like you would. point five million jobs over three years. Trump left lost three million jobs over four years. Okay, another thing. Why why what are people so negative on Biden with the economy, Williams? We we just don't know what we're doing. I mean, is that? I mean, why why? I mean, I mean if he's created all these jobs, why are the American people not supporting him on, on the economy? Hey, what, I just want the facts. I don't want your opinion. I want the facts, man. Okay, another thing. What happened in uh, Ohio? They tried to reverse the Republicans tried to reverse their vote. About abortion? Is that right? Did you see all the film on January 6th that they withheld from the American public over the you weekend? I just asked you, man. I talk about Ohio. <laughs> you know, Ohio. <laughs> it's the vote it's that just recently had about abortion. Uh, and, and I'll answer that. I got three. But I want, I want to hear your take on all that film that we're seeing now. All those people peacefully protesting I, in the I Capitol. There's about, there's about 4,000, there's about 4,000 hours of people peacefully protesting. These people trying to take your daughter rice away. Talk to me about that. Talk about the, when, when they, they voted abortion for abortion, the Republicans tried to take that away from them. Explain that to me. Williams, you real nervous Trump's going to win, aren't you? Uh-huh. You, I mean, I can hear it in your voice. You, you're real uh, nervous that Trump's going to win in 24. I do not want a coward in the White House. But you're real nervous he's going to win, aren't a you? A six-time draft sergeant, but, but, and I do not want a wannabe dictator. But but will you answer this one question? You won't ask the question about abortion in Ohio. We discussed that. We, we discuss it endlessly, Williams. I mean, we allow you to call in. and listen to you all the time. Yeah. You and, ain't never discuss it. Have a good day, man. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. I mean, the, Ooh, he does not want to answer that question. Well, I mean, he knows the truth. Yeah. I mean, the truth is here. Let's look at the, at the most recent Michigan poll. That number sticks out to me, guys. I mean, that, that's a big number. I mean, if it's trustworthy and, you know, polling's the best science we have, it's inexact, there, there's no question about it, but Trump is right now um, up five in Michigan if you believe this poll. Um, the same poll has Biden's job approval at about 38%. If Joe Biden had created 13.5 million jobs, Joe Biden's approval wouldn't be 38%. Uh, on, on matters relating to the economy, Biden's at about 23%. So, so Williams is saying something, and I understand um, some of the media narrative. I do. I understand that. I tweeted yesterday. I'll, I try to watch Stephanopoulos because I, I like to watch a Clinton surrogate, you know, go to work on the <laughs> in, in the name of journalism. It's always kind of <laughs> hilarious to me because he 
pushes hard to make sure you believe he's uh, journalistic in nature. But mm-hmm. yesterday, um, Chris Christie was the token Republican. And Big Chris would sit on that stool, and I'd pray for the stool to make it through, <laughs> you know, another round table power hour or whatever, a power hour round uh, table. But yesterday they had, and this is when you know they're nervous. Uh, yesterday they had someone from the Washington Post, someone from the New York Times, someone from NPR, and someone from ABC News. I mean, David Brinkley's rolling in his grave <laughs> to know that that is the, you know, the, the powerhouse round table. Yeah. Let me say it again. Uh, this lady from NPR, this man for the New York Times, this man for the Washington Post, this lady from ABC News, and they're going to update Americans on the political realities of our of our time. Um, they're not even disguising it any longer. I mean, if, if, if people had to give in their journalistic badges for Political Activist 101, I mean, there would be no journalistic badges in the world today. I mean, the, the, the American political media is a, an extension of the DNC, and they're in a little bit of, um, of turmoil right now. They probably saw this poll. They probably saw the last three national polls that have Trump leading Biden, and, and the number is Trump plus 50. I mean, if Trump is over 50%, that means that independents are deeply, deeply disappointed with the job Biden's doing. So when Williams says Biden's created 13.5 million jobs, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to spin data. Trump did it. Carter did it. Reagan did it. They all do it. They all take credit for things they don't deserve credit, try to deflect deflect blame for things they probably do deserve um, some criticism. But it's just, uh, it's it's obvious to me now that they're convinced Trump can win. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Can and are. That, That might be a better word. Trump is going to win if things don't change. Let's go to the phone. Scott in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, hi. Yes. Um, last year on July 18th, 2022, um, I found my 20-year-old son's body in his tub dead. He was naked, curled up in a fetal position, and uh, they found half a pill on his uh, dresser. Then I come to find out it was laced with fentanyl. And my son Tanner was not a drug addict. He had a hurt back. So we figured that someone he knew, he knew a fentanyl, gave him the pill, and he took what he thought was precautions and cut it in two. But it, you know, fentanyl is so lethal, it killed him. He wasn't a drug addict. Um, I've been a single parent all my life, 20 years, and it just wrecked my world. And after getting out of the depression and PTSD and sleepiness and all that, you know, I founded an organization that I'm in the early stages, American Fitness Association, and I've been researching it just, it just sort of, you know, we're supposed to be the most powerful country in the world. And I recently saw what happened in San Francisco when we have the leader from China come. San Francisco was just, just like a third world country looked like the but then we have this guy comes and it just cleans up in a matter of, I mean, he was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. So I guess where I'm headed with this is look at our border. If we can clean up, we're supposed to be the most powerful, and we proved it. A guy's coming from China to talk, and Biden and his administration clean up San Francisco in a blink of eye. Why can't we close the border? Why can't we protect American citizens? Why can't we take what we have labeled as an epidemic 
Why can't we get that under control? I recently went in front of the city council here in Florence and the mayor here. Um, we don't even have the word signal on our website. Even on August 21st, which is a, a national signal day, awareness day, it's not on the website. It's not on the police website. It's not on the fire department website. It's not on anybody's radar. So I just wanted to have, I guess, a dialogue. I've never even talked to anything like this on the radio, but it's just, it really baffles me. It disturbs me, especially when it hits so close to home like this, that we, as the most powerful country, can't keep its people safe for some reason. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that call. Um, let's take a break. I want to come back on the other side. And um, mine, that's, that's a very, very, very worthy discussion. And it was a great fear of my life. I mean, that gentleman lived the fear that I worried about nearly uh, every day for the last, well, outside of the past five years, the, the seven years leading up to the last five, that is the fear um, that a lot of parents have about fentanyl. Are you more concerned? about the march of communism than someone in your immediately fam- immediate family dying of a fentanyl-laced overdose. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Friday's programming note. If you need to get something off your chest like Williams did, you need to call in today or tomorrow because Wednesday we're talking about Gamecocks, Tigers, and the rivalry game from the aptly named Rivals a Store Divided. Thanks to Will Webster and his crowd for taking good care of us. Josh, this will be your first ever um, working the big remote that the world waits on yeah. with bated breath. That's right. That's right. right. Okay. You're excited about it. I am. Uh, good deal. Did you know my beloved Gamecocks play App State next year? I did not know that. Because they don't. Clemson does. Oh. Mm, I think Clemson <laughs> plays App State next okay. year. Hey, App State, didn't they pull out a big win this weekend? Uh, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that because it was the um, – was that not where game day was? It was it JMU? Yeah, James Madison, and that would have been a big game in that division yeah. of football. Uh, the biggest win App State's ever had is at the Big House, beating Michigan yeah. uh, back in the day. They beat. Um, I know they never shut up about it. <laughs> I wouldn't either, to, to be honest with you. Okay, let let I'm making these assumptions, and one of the mistakes I make is assuming that you folks out there have run for office. You understand. Uh, the inner workings of politics. I'm going to say it. Well, you know how they do it. But I mean, they do it all the time. You don't want to write off his Jerry. No, I don't. You know how to keep a... No, I don't. Um, and I, I think at times I do make these assumptions that you folks know how the game is played because I played the game a little bit. And I have to remind my... No, you folks have never run for office, the majority. You don't hold public office. You've never had a lobbyist or a consultant you know, reach out and inquire about what needs to be done or how it needs how it needs to be done. I, I just think we we, we we've got to understand, guys, how deep this relationship is between the establishment and elite politicians. Breeze is talking about um, you know who's in the room with Xi Jinping. Well, I mean, it's BlackRock, it's Vanguard, it's some of these, uh, J.P. Morgan, I would imagine. And that doesn't surprise you. Had a, no, not not at all. That's who's got to be in the room if you're in charge. And Trump poses a threat to that. Um, I don't know that Trump's policies are bad for BlackRock and Vanguard. But, but the fact that you can't control him and you can't call his chief of staff and, and make sure he does these things these ways. We had someone call in earlier. That, that I can relate to. 
I mean, I, I thank God in heaven that I can't exactly relate. And I pray to God for mercy for the man that did have to deal with burying a kid. I can't imagine what that's like. I've never had to do that. The, uh, the person closest to me in my world, I mean, my sister died at 29 and I watched my dad just, just become broken. I mean, I watched it suck the life out of him in a way that I just never imagined. And this is going to be just, just the cold hard truth. You ready? The person lobbying for Raytheon, the person lobbying for BlackRock or Vanguard, the person um, in a senator's office or in a chief of staff's office today could care less about that kid in fentanyl. I mean, they don't wish kids to die from fentanyl, but that's not what motivates them in the morning. I mean, when they when, when they put that a tag and suit and walk to Capitol Hill to confront a chief of staff or a member of the Senate, their job is to get what they want. I mean, their job is to legally bribe your government for a favor. I mean, they're not there on behalf of the American people. I mean, Dave Baker and, and, the, and the caller and Josh and Ken, whomever uh, we have sympathy for who has lost a child uh, to fentanyl. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. If there were enough parents who lost kids to fentanyl who hired a high-ranking lobbyist, it would be a, a front-burner issue. I mean, it really and truly would. But, but sometimes I assume that you folks understand because it isn't, it isn't the way things should be. I mean, every senator every day should wake up thinking about the border and how much fentanyl is coming across the border, how many potential terrorists are coming across the border. But nobody's really lobbying them. They wake up every day with a scorecard, and the scorecard says, this group raised me this much money, and they need, you know, they, they need to have a meeting with me by 11 o'clock. But there are these three parents who lost kids to fentanyl. Did they, did they make a contribution? Are they connected to a lobbying organization? Is there fundraising capabilities there? Money's the answer. Now, what's the question? And sometimes I assume that you believe that. And I understand in, in most of our worlds, you, you've got BlackRock and Vanguard and fundraising and a senator and a chief of staff over here, and you've got an innocent kid dying of a fentanyl overdose over there. And we believe that morality prevails. And we believe that that senator reacts to the, the, the human tragedy of a kid dying of a fentanyl overdose. They don't. I'm sorry. It's not what motivates the wheels of government. I mean, the gears of government grind slowly, unless you're paying a lot of money. And then they grind a little more freely and quickly. And that's it. And, and I don't know that I've ever done a good enough job of, of, of expressing to you how clearly I know that to be true. Why is the southern border not secure? Because nobody's paying Congress to close the southern border. Why did BlackRock get the contract to manage and be a custodian for $2.6 trillion in mortgage-backed securities? Because they've got lobbyists, and they play the game. Um, I'll pick on a profession for a second. You ready? You want to pick on a profession? Mm. Um, and this probably gets us in trouble, but so be it. Um, the realtors have been in the news lately, right? I mean, you've seen the deal, the lawsuit. Uh, they've got another pending lawsuit or two or three. I don't know what realtors should make. I don't have any idea what a realtor should make. Should there be a buying and selling agent? Uh, is the model antiquated and outdated? I don't, I mean, I, you know, that that's that's kind of for the market to decide and make determinations. But I do know that the Realtors Association has spent nearly $100 million lobbying Congress. I mean, do you believe they've lobbied Congress to make it easier and more affordable for you to buy a home? 
Why is there $2.6 trillion in mortgage-backed securities on the Fed's balance sheet? I mean, there's a good question. Why is the Fed so dramatically dabbling in the real estate market? I mean, if there are, if there's not a home for $2.6 trillion in mortgage-backed securities in the free market without the Fed intervening or housing, uh, you know, or letting rest there, then what would the price of a home be? And, I, you know, one of my best friends in this world is a realtor. I'm not picking on realtors, but why do the realtors spend, spend nearly $100 million a year lobbying the federal government? Why, why do when the realtors, because the real, when, when a situation arises, the realtors want to be in the know. They want to be in the click, BlackRock, Vanguard, all these companies. And I don't think that you understand, as a casual consumer of political news, how intensely guarded that relationship is. So, so you have someone calling, heartbroken. Why in fentanyl, top and center, front and center? Why aren't we as concerned? Because nobody's lobbying Congress. I mean, there's not an anti-fentanyl organization. I mean, we know that the members of the Senate know, and the members of Congress, both houses, they know damn well that there are dangerous people coming across that border. They know fentanyl's making its way into America via the southern border. They know the guy they met with last week is partially responsible for the exportation of fentanyl. Where does the majority of fentanyl come from? Chinese labs, right? I mean, it's a synthetic drug. The majority is manufactured in China. How does it make its way to the southern border? It just does. I mean, those folks don't follow rules anyway. So, so, So as part of... I mean, I don't know if you saw this or not. There was an announcement, an announcement that they've got a deal on how to stop fentanyl. I mean, why do two leaders have to meet? Why does the American president need to have to meet with anybody to secure our border? I mean, it's kind of interesting. It wasn't we're going to secure the border. It's just, will you promise to not put as much fentanyl in the market? I mean, who believes that nonsense? And, And I think that's where we're headed, guys. I had somebody tell me over the weekend, uh, Maybe I'll butcher his name. Um, Javier Malay. You know who that is? M-I-L-E-I. Argentina. Uh, he's, the, he's the current uh, president-elect of Argentina. Um, he is more radical than Trump ever imagined. And, I mean, a lot of this campaign was the dollarization of the Argentine economy. I mean, they're dealing with craziness. I mean, it's it, they've had about a, a rough go of it for 75 years. But it's a, it's a country with about 50 million people. It's a big nation. Um, they're going to, you know, dollarize their economy. Uh, but let me let me read some things. He got elected in a place that historically had been friendly to socialists. Here, here's his words. You ready? He considers Pope Francis a filthy a filthy leftist. <laughs> I mean, that's what he called. I him. know. Didn't 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 take it back. Didn't say I'm sorry. Shouldn't have said that. Um, he says that redistributing wealth is a violent act. He's called climate change the great lie of socialism. His governing philosophy is, got to be careful here, you ready? You can't give crap leftists an inch. He pledges to end the Central Bank of Argentina. His view on China is that he doesn't cut deals with communists. His view on abortion, when you construct on the basis of an incorrect moral principle, the result is filth. How can being able to kill other human beings be a right gained? As a liberal, I believe in the unrestricted right to life based on the defense of life, liberty, and property. I defend life. Biology says that life begins 
with conception. Um, on other politicians, he says, Mickey Mouse is the aspiration of every Argentine politician because he is a disgusting rodent whom everybody loves. (laughs) (laughs) Got a lot of flair. He's kind of a dream come true if you see the world as I do. But the people of Argentina had enough. And they voted for one of the most radical, professed to be an anarcho-capitalist. Let's use this as another example. I mean, in what nation? Imagine if we didn't have fundraising. Imagine if we had the public financing of campaigns. I mean, just hypothetically, just stick with me for a second. And there was no place for the EV industry to gain traction. I mean, there was no unholy alliance between these um, these liberals who were in charge of, you know, the body politic and these auto manufacturers. There is nothing about the market. I read uh, last week, you know why the Concorde doesn't fly anymore? There was just not a lot of demand. I mean, it was a supersonic jet. It got you from um, from London, from Heathrow in London to LaGuardia in New York faster than anybody ever could imagine. Um, but people didn't want to pay that price. I mean, it was a niche plane. Uh, Rev's got all the money he'll ever need. Rev doesn't care. He just wants to get there. But there weren't enough Revs. I mean, they, you know, the, the market said the Concorde is just not a viable economic proposition. It's going to save you two hours flying from Heathrow to and you'd go at what twice the speed of sound. Remember the supersonic, and they had to. I don't know if you ever seen this or not, Josh. But in the front of the cabin or the back of the cabin, in front of the plane, they've got this speedometer, and it shows you how fast. And once you cross the sound barrier, and then I think it's fourteen hundred miles an hour or whatever. Well, uh, it it was going bust, and that's going to happen to EVs. Now, now the government could have subsidized the Concorde. They could have made it more affordable. It, it could have just said, okay, um, Dave Baker can't pay the $2,000 it takes to fly on the Concorde, but he can pay 1000 So in the name of keeping a model sustainable, the government, everybody's going to pay the other 1000 and Dave gets to fly for a grand. We've adjusted and started manipulated uh, the marketplace. Well, it looks to me like some of the auto manufacturers are saying, you, you can't distort it that much. You can't manipulate it that much. Um, Tesla will be the Concorde. Tesla is a niche car. People that want an EV will buy the Tesla, but everybody else is going to buy a gas-powered uh, car. I worry greatly about our economic development project announcement that we had, what, a year, year and a half ago? This huge um, Asian battery manufacturer that's going to provide BMW and some of these other cars or some of these other companies with um with the accessories, with the battery-powered. Uh, when, when I read this, I mean, it just looks to me like um, EVs are going to end up being a niche market. Now, now the government's going to spend enormous amounts of money trying to make it mainstream and trying to normalize it and make, you know, the internal combustion engine obsolete. The more I read, the more the market is revealing its forces. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our weekly phone issues, I think. Um <laughs> I think the phones are ringing, but as soon as he picks it up, it goes dead. Right, Josh? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Yeah. I just went back there and looked at and in the, the modem box that has the phone lines on it. looked like it was rebooting for no reason or a reason. I don't know. Okay. Good deal. It happens a lot, does it not? Yeah. 843-661-0937. <laughs> 
call into this call-in radio <laughs> show say, and roll the dice and just hope it works. But it's only a call-in radio show, so why would we need phones? Uh, to yeah, work? I mean, it's not a big deal, right? It seems to be working now. Okay, it we seems to call. be working now. That sounds promising, Josh. Yeah. We'll it we'll seems see. to be working now. See how long okay. it keeps working. Is it? Do we have a call? Okay, let's yeah. go there. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. I, I thought you forgot to pay your phone bill or something. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't I think that's the, the case. Uh, they uh, they had, you, had network difficulty forever. But uh, I, uh, I think one good thing uh, along the Argentine line of they, the Argentines finally got uh, – fed up with their uh, goofy dictators down there they are we've got uh, this Biden administration has revealed a lot of the traitors in the country like the 51 uh, uh, CI and uh, alphabet uh, affiliated people that uh, signed off on that on uh, Trump being a Russian plant and all that uh, we know we know who these people are, and we've got it in writing. They signed the letter, so uh, that's pretty good. Uh, but uh, I do find it uh, difficult to believe that Trump is already pulling twenty five percent of the black vote. Uh, but I don't think he has to get twenty five percent to destroy the Democrat Party. If he get if he gets close to twenty uh, percent. I think I think it's game over, game set and match. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, if if, if the numbers hold, and, and at some point in time, I mean, it's it's not a one off. It's a um, do the people that are verbalizing their support of Trump not believe that there are trials to come in in this um in this twenty twenty four election cycle? They have to know it. Sure, they know it, and and they've determined it's more of a witch hunt than it is. A justified trial, and it's just so interesting to me. The, the the psychology of those trying to destroy Trump are are the only people that keep him alive. I think there are many America firsters that, left to their own volition, would rather move on from Trump. I talked to a lot of those. We've had some of those debates here. I believe there are many America firsters who would rather. J.D. Vance or Mike Lee or Josh Hawley or someone else a little younger, you know, a little more, a, a little less blunt, a little more diplomatic, a little more receptive to building a consensus and governing a nation. But the never-Trumpers won't let us. I mean, the Trump derangement syndrome has an alternate effect on some of these folks who are America firsters. I, I believe that 25% of America firsters, Josh, help me, you're younger. You'd be an America firster. Yep. I think one in four, maybe one in three, would, would rather have an alternative. They they would probably rather JD Vance or somebody like that. But but every time they attack Trump, you feel compelled to kind of circle the wagons and say, okay, I'm not ready to move on yet. I mean, I want to get this guy elected. If this guy bothers you that much, that's the only guy I want to elect. That that's the only guy. We'll deal with the second phase or third phase or sustainability or policymaking. We'll deal with that at some point in time. But but he irks you so much. He bothers you so much. He upsets you so much. You attack him the way you do. I'm going, to, I'm going down with him. I, I, I just believe it's having a reverse effect. Um, I, I'll give you an example. We're picking on somebody here, and I don't want to do that. There's a certain caller to this show that every time it's about Trump. It's something Trump did. 
I believe that energizes the Trump base. I believe every time somebody does something like that, and this little show and this little audience is nothing like the national media, I think the national media, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the people who are trying to kill Trump only make him stronger. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Yesterday, they were talking about the polling. Now, remember, this is the powerhouse roundtable on this week with George Stephanopoulos. They had a reporter from ABC News, a writer from the New York Times, a writer from the Washington Post, and a reporter from NPR. That's their powerhouse roundtable. They're going to give you all sides of the equation, right, Rev? NPR is going to give oh, you yeah. the left side. No, very New York balanced. Times is going to give you the left side. The Washington Post, left side. And then you've got ABC News, the left side. <laughs> but in the process of what's wrong with Biden? What's wrong with Biden? And the guy from the Washington Post, I think it's Dan Balls. He said, B-A-L-Z. He said, um, well, you know, eventually these 91 indictments. Thank and you know those 91 indictments. And you know what we're talking about, those 91 indictments. Oh, yeah. I mean, people don't remember those 91 indictments. But once those 91 indictments get, it was nothing about Biden. I mean, the question was about Joe Biden. And the answer was, well, those 91 indictments and those 91 indictments. And I just believe the few MAGAs and the few America Firsters who watched this week, and I would never watch it if it weren't part of my job prep, and I feel like I'd need to watch some of the Sunday morning shows to get a get kind of a sense of where Inside the Beltway is headed this week because they'll kind of, I mean, they'll tip their hand. And it was obvious to me, Trump up five in Michigan, but the people in Michigan have forgotten about those 91 indictments. We need to remind them of those 91 indictments. I think people remember those 91 indictments and don't give a rat's rear end. I think they have moved on past that. And, and they believe Trump did a better job as president. I think I saw Juan Williams. Now, the other the other um, message is they're just not getting the message out. They're just not doing a good job of telling people what a good job they've done. Biden's a great president. He's just a lousy messenger. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. Biden's a great president. They're just lousy, lousy at messaging. Got to get better at messaging. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the phone. Here is Farmer in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Hey, Ken. First time calling. I appreciate all that y'all do. I used to listen to WMAL out of D.C. every morning. I got tired of listening to the nines, and uh, that's the traffic and weather. <laughs> and really appreciate your all's uh, program and how you all uh, create your arguments and discussions. Anyway, just quick kudos. Hey, Thank back you. to earlier. Um, your back to the earlier discussions. Um, Money is the answer. Now, what's the question? The same way with the congressman. I've had uh, I have a couple good acquaintances that are congressmen, and I can remember having lunch with one, and um, he is just all upset. I'm like, "What's going on, guys?" And he's he's like, "Man, I got three kids in private school back home in Ohio. Uh, you know, rent is so high in D.C., and you know, I shower in the basement of the Hart Building every morning." because uh, I sleep in my office three nights a week and then fly home to my family. I can't make ends meet. And I'm like, wow, I mean, you're not playing the game right. The next, my other buddy, is the night of his, when he got uh, sworn into Congress, we're having dinner, and he, he sh- I mean, I'm happy for him, and he's not. I'm like, what's going on, man? Why did you so, this is the greatest night in the world. You worked so hard for this. And he's, he's like, dude, I'm going to have to sell my house in Florida. I can't find an apartment that I can afford in D.C. on this salary. I don't know how they do this, right? And uh, 
the the RNC didn't sponsor me, so I supported most of this stuff, most of my campaign all by myself. The point I'm trying trying to make is, until they learn the pro, they learn the game, they are broke. And Mansion this weekend said it three times on national TV. The, the DNC, the RNC, the Dems, and Republicans have a great business model in D.C. And they don't want to mess it up, and that's what Trump does. He messes up their business model. That's all I have, guys. Hey, uh, point of privilege, Ken. Hey, Jeff, stop playing stump the chump, please. Come with a better argument, state your case, give evidence, and then wait for a reciprocal response. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, The the caller's kind of, I mean, he's got it figured out here, but, but here's what we left out. That's, I mean, they'll, let's say that Josh, I like to use these hypotheticals because we, we can relate to it. Josh Young Buck, Josh wants to be a congressman. Um, Josh studies and he studies and he understands the government. And he understands what, you know, what we should have done in the Great Depression. And he's prepared to answer questions about the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. And he's read the Constitution and he understands the Bill of Rights. Decorate, I mean, he, you know, and he's got this campaign speech. I'm a Jeffersonian and. You know, I'm this, and now, you know, I like America first. I don't much care for Trump and some of the, some of the game. I mean, he's put together quite the uh, proposal to the voter. Josh gets elected out of nowhere. Josh gets elected and decides to walk to the beat of his own drum. Well, when Josh gets to Washington, newest, newly elected Congressman Josh, um, we're having such and such and such and such Tuesday. And then next Thursday, we're having another. We'd love to have you as our guest. And Josh decides to stay committed to what he said he was. He's going to be a voice of the voter. He's going to, he's going to represent the people of Florence, Sumter, and Orangeburg. I mean, Josh made a commitment, spent a couple of years of his life understanding politics and, and policies, talked to people to know what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, Josh realizes, I can't live here. I mean, I can't, I can't make this work. I'm a normal dude from a normal place living in a very abnormal world. And the only way I can make it is to allow myself to basically be a part of the game, the fundraising, um, some of the favors, directly and indirectly, that allow you to kind of um, <sighs> maximize your potential in Washington, D.C. Um, how many of you believe, well, I mean, this is, and this make me making assumptions again, how many of you believe that there are deals made early in a congressman or woman's career that lead to the other side of politics. In other words, when Josh gets there, and let's just say Raytheon, I mean, Josh has proven to be a real smart guy, diligent guy, but he's not a team player. I mean, Josh doesn't keep the ball rolling forward for the military-industrial complex. Josh has this crazy idea that he's here to represent the interests of his voters. I mean, Josh is here to play the game, and Josh will understand that. Once we sit him down and explain to him how these rules play and how his future could play out if he indeed becomes one of us. So Josh has a decision to make. Does he scrap and claw and barely make ends meet? Or does he commit to help, you know, kind of advance to the elitist uh, insider agenda? And on the other side is a very lucrative lobbying career, consulting career for Josh. I mean, how many people can say no to that? I mean, you go to Washington. I mean, I know $180,000 is a lot of money, but, but Washington gobbles that up pretty quickly. I mean, it really and truly does. It, it, it's embarrassing, and I, and I believe it's intentional. I believe they make that place intentionally expensive so people like Josh will come home 
and his replacement says, I remember what happened to Josh. I can't let that happen to me. Yeah, where, where do I sign? Count me in on the deal. What, what does Raytheon need? What does BlackRock need? What does Vanguard need? But, but I need to be taken care of on the other side now. I need to make sure there is a very lucrative career. John Boehner's probably wealthier today than he's ever been in his life. What is Boehner doing? Google that, Rip. See if you find John Boehner. Career now. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. You know what? There, there's an interesting... So Boehner's doing what, Rev? Okay, so I found okay. Boehner's... Uh, here's what he's up to. When he left office, uh, he began working in a lobbying firm, became a board member of tobacco company Reynolds American, and then he joined the advisory board of a company called Acreage Holdings, which is a cannabis company. Now, this is interesting because... Uh, Boehner had been on the record as opposing the legalization of marijuana, but his views had evolved on sure, that issue. Sure. It's so. amazing what that do-re-me will do. Right. <laughs> when somebody puts a little money in your pocket, uh, you're not quite as convinced that was the right place to land <laughs> on some of those issues. You know, the, the, the evolving of a, of a politician is a reflection of the era of enlightenment. It has nothing to do with money or monetary right. gain, does it, Josh? I mean, it's all about principle and moral and ethics and the, the evolution. Upon, upon further reflection. Well, I mean, the, the evolution and enlightenment. I mean, that, that would be how I would um, characterize that. I mean, Boehner well, it's, and Paul Ryan would be one of the same. Ryan got real big in energy and, um, and mineral excavation. I mean, he got involved in some of these um, uh, commodity companies and whatnot. Ryan's wife, if I'm not mistaken, inherited a bunch of money. A bunch. I'm talking about five, six, seven million dollars. And I think he's added about that much on his own after becoming speaker. Remember, he was the VP candidate and I mean, acquitted himself well in policy debates. Um, but I think he's on the board at Fox News, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But his, I think his, the majority of his influence is in this mineral excavation, mining, um, oil, energy. I mean, the energy sector, because there was a James Madison professor, I don't know why I remember this, that believed that one of the big rises in the price of oil when Paul Ryan was Speaker of the House was he'd already made a deal. We need oil to be $100 a barrel, and if you can get it to $100 a barrel with some of your policies or some of your influences, there'll be a good job, a good consulting, lobbying job for you in the energy sector wow. if that's uh, on true. the other side. Well, I mean, of course it's true. Wow. I mean, it, it would probably, you, you, Springsteen said he was leaving America. If, if we knew, if, if America firsters knew how corrupt the Washington model was, we'd be like, now, now the one thing to Springsteen, I saw this on Twitter. Don't want to take credit for it. Cause I didn't, uh, it's, I didn't, it didn't originate with me, but somebody said, Hey man, you're not an airport. You don't have to announce your, your, your boardings. You know what and I mean? Departures, yeah. yeah don't your departures. Your departures. If you want to get out of here, yep. get out of here. We don't need you to tell us. Like Joe Scarborough. Scarborough wrote a, an op-ed to the Washington Post and New York Times saying he was leaving the Republican Party when, when nobody asked Scarborough if he was leaving the Republican Party. So, I mean, is everybody knocking on Springsteen's door? Hey, if Trump wins, are you leaving? I mean, I don't know if anybody asked. No, but he said, you know, it's just cool nobody the way they cares. said it. Just, hey, man, just leave. You're not an airport. <laughs> You don't need to announce your departures. Just barrel on, you know, <laughs> yep. get, get out of here get if that's out. the case. But if we knew, but if we honestly knew how corrupt Washington was and how much insiderism, to what extent the insiderism is played, we'd be like Springsteen. We would announce our departure. I'm out of here. I'm going to Argentina now because they re they've elected somebody far more radical um, than Donald Trump. 
And Trump, I mean, guys, that's the that's the part of this. It's not that Trump is, is right on the policy. You know, Trump is a deregulating, pro-business Republican. I mean, that, those are dime a dozen. I mean, in all honesty, nearly every Republican that has seeked the White House, if you say regulate, deregulate, they'd say deregulate. Cut taxes, raise taxes, they'd say cut taxes. Um, you know, uh, make it easier for business, less red tape or more red tape, they'd say less red tape. I mean, that, that's, that's a dime a dozen. Except with Trump, he's got this wild eye. Remember the movie Josie Wales? When, why'd you shoot him first, Josie? And you know, a certain wildness in his eye. Remember that? <laughs> he's a bit wild-eyed. Well, Trump's a bit wild-eyed, and they're not sure what they can do. But, but here's the encouraging part to me. As wild-eyed as he is, and is unpredictable and as, I don't know, disrespectful to the decorum of the presidency, the American public are buying it. I mean, he's up five in Michigan. He's up nationally. I said, there's no way Trump gets to 50%. I mean, I've told Rev a hundred times, Rev would come in here all excited about a poll. I said, Rev, there's no way that poll's right. There's no mm -hmm. way. Donald Trump is not going to get the majority of Americans. He just not. He's got to get 47%. Hope Kennedy takes some and Manchin, if he gets in, takes some. But he's not a candidate. He's too polarizing. He's too divisive. He's going to be attacked too much by the media. And some people buy into that. I mean, they, they believe the media still tries to be objective and tell the truth. I mean, you and I know they don't, but there's some out there that, that do believe that. So, so for him to be at 51 or two nationally and up five in, in, uh, in Michigan, that's that's a that's a big number, guys. And is it an outlier? I don't know. I would love to see another poll in the next week that says Trump up five in Michigan, four in Michigan. Because um, if he's up five in Michigan, he runs the table. If Donald Trump is really and truly five points ahead of Joe Biden, it could be Ronald Reagan esque. I mean, I'm not saying win every state except what is uh, Delaware. I mean, he's not going to win New York. He's not going to win California. I mean, that would have been, you know, different sorts of days and eras during that period of time. I mean, some of these states are just real, real blue, and you're not winning. No matter, he's not willing Illinois. I mean, there's no way he wins Illinois, but he could win Wisconsin. He could win Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. All of a sudden comes into play if he's up five. Virginia may come into play if Trump's up five in Michigan. It's a little bit like Carville said that night. Remember early in 2016, when James Carville was on MSNBC and the all the uh, all the power brokers at NBC News are sitting around a table, Rachel Maddow is kind of their, um, I mean, she would have been their biggest star on their cable. I mean, Lester Holt would be the biggest star in the nightly news. But they had, they had Rachel Maddow sitting there and on each side are all these experts. And they were continuing to quote exit polling that showed Latinos were voting in a higher percentage in in um in Florida mm -hmm. and Carville said and I'll never forget what Carville said. He said, I mean he named three counties because he had run campaigns. I mean James Carville's no fool. You know that. I know that. James Carville may have a funny dialect, but James Carville is nobody's dummy by any stretch of the imagination. But Carville said, I don't know about the Latinos in Florida, but it looks to me like the white working class is voting out of their behinds in uh, in eastern excuse me in western Pennsylvania. And, and that's when he said, and this is not kind of a one-off. I mean, if that's happening, in other words, if in, and he named the three counties, and the turnouts are normally this, 
And he said, it looks to me like the turnouts are up, you know, 60, 70, 80%. And if that's the case, it's going to be a long night for Democrats. It's going to be a real long night. But they were still buying into this, this narrative. You know, they, they had convinced themselves it's about the Latinos in, in Florida. And it looks some of these precincts in Miami. You know, the, the Latinos are voting in Miami. I mean, that, that was the, the, the tenor of the conversation, except James Carville. You can pay attention there, but I'm telling you, these three counties, the white working class is voting. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and it was early. And he said, it's, just, it's going to be a long night. And if he's up five in Michigan, it's going to be a long night for Democrats in 2024. Take a break. Back in a few. Okay, let's frame the debate. We got two days of politics. We got today and tomorrow, and then we're talking about football on Wednesday, Thanksgiving Thursday, um, Thanksgiving extension to Thanksgiving Friday. A lot of football. We got today and tomorrow to kind of you know delve in and pay attention to the the political scene in America. So I want to give you some numbers, Josh and Rev, mm-hmm. and I want to hear what you guys have to say about this because it doesn't get any better than this for Trump. I mean, it never has been this good for Trump. And I'm looking at the RCP average. So, I mean, this is kind of an aggregate. You got this poll and that poll and, uh, you know, a Republican-friendly poll and a Democrat-friendly poll. Got a poll taken on the weekends, landlines. You got cell phones and text messages Monday through Wednesday. All of that collectively goes into this, this database. So, right now in the GOP primary, Trump is 58.9, DeSantis 14.4, Haley 10.7. You can break it down in Iowa. He's at 47. In New Hampshire, he's at 46. Um... In the, in the Democrat poll, nationally, Biden's at 72%. Remember, Kennedy's not a Democrat any longer. He's running as an independent. Um, Williamson's at 7.8. Uh, Biden, 46% in, uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, and then you get to the national matchup, general election matchup. You ready? Trump's at 47. Biden's at 45. I mean, that's the aggregate. 47 is about what I've said is that's his ceiling as far as I'm concerned. Maybe 47 and a half. I just don't see Trump getting north of that in a national election. DeSantis is at 45.6. Biden's at 45. Haley's at 46.2. Biden's at 42. So Haley beats Biden uh, 4.2. Trump's 1.9. DeSantis 0 points. All beat Biden. Um, DeSantis is the lesser margin. Haley's got the, uh, the larger margin. When you go to the RCP betting averages, remember in America, you can't bet on the presidency. You can only buy the presidency, Um, (laughs) but you can bet on it in London and some of these other countries. Right now, Donald Trump at 34.7% is the favorite. Joe Biden, 29.4%. That's a pretty substantial advantage. I mean, that really and truly is. Gavin Newsom's at 11%. Nikki Haley is at 7.3%. Uh, percent. So you go to the latest polls. Now, now Trump's aggregate is once again nationally 46.6. Um, the latest poll has Trump at 46, Biden at 44. There's another poll, Quinnipiac poll, has Trump at 49, Biden at 45. There's another um, Monmouth poll, I'm sorry, Fox News poll that has Trump at 50. And Rasmussen has him at 51. He's plus five in Michigan. And the latest poll, now once again, that's kind of, is that an outlier? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Is that momentum building? I don't know. Generic ballot, Republican plus two. 
So, so right now the aggregate has Trump where I think his ceiling is at about 47%. The most recent polls taken have him at around 50%. If the most recent polls are correct, and if some of the trailing polls drag him down to 46%, what do you attribute that to, guys? I mean, what, what do you make of that narrative? What do you make of that storyline that Donald Trump, the most divisive, we're told, uh, the, 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 the less reverent, uh, the most difficult, the most condescending, the most narcissistic? I mean, the American people are now saying, this is the guy I want to be our president. What, what do you make of that, Rev? Well, I think in the abstract, before you had something to not to compare it to, all you heard was the media in, in 2020, you know, Trump bad, got to get this guy out of there. And I think the people in the middle, for the most part, bought it. Um, but what? Tr- Trump's, but what did they buy? Trump's going to have his base. Democrats are going to have their base. So they're really talking about people in the media for can the I, most can part. Can I stop you there? Of course. Was the narrative enough of the drama? I think that's I'm tired part of, of the drama. I think it's part of that. Trump fatigue syndrome. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, but now you can ask yourself the question, are you better off four years ago than you are today? And you think it's... Well, I mean, obviously, and everybody goes grocery shopping. Everybody you know, wants to go out to eat. Everybody has to put gas in a vehicle for the most part, right? So the, the economy is not good for, you know, it's it just things cost too much. And when you, I mean, why, did it, why does it cost too much? Do you want to blame somebody? Who are you going to blame? But you can't blame Trump. Right. Right. I mean, you can't. People will try. Joshua, what is your, what is your opinion? Yeah, my, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think that, um, you, you know, when I think of the, I think of independence as people that, you know, they're kind of like, like the Seinfeld watcher. They're passively into politics. And I do believe that probably most people, even even Democrats aren't like these anti-Trump fanatics that you that you constantly see in the media. And I think it is getting to the point now where these kind of lies that the media has been pushing forever are so obviously lies now that people are like, well, crap, man, I'm not going to, you know, like do this. It costs thirteen dollars for me to get a quesadilla these days, you know. You know, and to, to that point, Josh got to catch the phone. To, to that point, see, I believe some of this is playing in. I believe that there's such an organized effort to take Trump down that he gets sympathy. And How do you change, make Donald Trump a sympathetic figure? I, I have say, no idea. That's a good day's work. I mean, but but I, I believe that there is such energy in trying to make sure it's a little bit like yesterday. I mean, it, Josh is right. I mean, I would watch this week with Stephanopoulos different than a Seinfeld watcher. A Seinfeld watcher is not watching it anyway. I mean, they're not waking up Sunday morning to turn on the, 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 the roundhouse power table or the power or whatever, whatever you want to call it, Power Rangers. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was some uh, robot. Rangers. You remember that? <laughs> and that, that would have predated your the boys Mighty a little Morphin bit. The Mighty power Morphin Rangers. Power Rangers. Um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, <laughs> you could sing it. <laughs> I knew the song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, we had a guy dress up like a Mighty Morphin Power Ranger come to one of my kids' like seventh birthday or eighth birthday cool. or whatever it was back in the <laughs> Back in the day. But but I just believe that there's such an organized effort to take Trump down that people are beginning to sense it for what it is and see it for exactly what it is. In other words, if, whether you're a political junkie or not, if if you watch for a second and you realize, I mean, they announced on Stephanopoulos yesterday, uh, with us on our powerhouse roundtable is such and such for the New York Times, such and such from NPR, 
such and such from Washington Post and such and such from ABC News. I think the majority of people who watch that, they're like, really? I mean, so I think Trump's going to get a fair shake. Well, I think the people in the center, they, they see these reports. They hear, they, they see Mar-a-Lago raided for whatever reason. They, they hear all the news about the indictments. And again, they're not so engaged with politics, but then they see all that. And then they think, but you know, really, um, when that guy was president, things were, you know, until the pandemic hit, things were, things were pretty darn good in this country. I, I've, I've told and you. And around the world. And, and I've told better. you. And, I, and, and plus, I think people see Biden as being just out of touch. I mean, this guy's obviously in, in disarray. I mean, that's being kind. And he's 81 today. And, and I think a lot of people, I think African-American men, I don't know why I believe this, but I think African-American men are going like, I don't need no damn 81-year-old man president. I think a lot of good old boys. A lot of good old boys who don't really have a huge investment. They don't believe it matters as much as it probably really and truly does in their lives. Uh, they're too busy working and doing their thing and trying to raise their family. Um, that would be kind of a working class, black and white. I think most of those guys, and I'm thinking about the guys building truck beds in Pamplico or the guy, you know, plowing a field in, 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 in Scranton. I just think that guy goes, 81's just too old. I mean, we need somebody younger well, than when you add than the, 81 years old. The evidence of shaking hands with the air and then tripping up the steps of the airplane. And well, I mean, just the the worst thing they do for Biden is make him walk. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm gonna say something crazy. I, I would, if I were in charge of Joe Biden's campaign, I would not force him to walk anywhere because it's obvious. I mean, you see the the, the stride. The I mean, yeah, but it's 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 a distinct shuffle. That obviously leads most people to believe. In other words, if I don't see much of the president because I don't listen to talk radio when I don't watch the news, but every time I see him, he's shuffling around and there's, you know, there's this lost look in his face. I think Trump gets more of the, I think that that's, uh, if you're considering one or the other, yeah, 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 life was a little better when Trump was president, but this guy just looks like he's out of it. I mean, he doesn't look capable of doing the job. Let's go to the phone. Rujan in Darlington. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Ken, I, I had to go to, to Boston. I spent uh, five days up in Boston. I had to go to a funeral up there and, you know, went to a couple of restaurants and everything. And you kind of sit there in the booth and you, you listen to folks in the other booth and they're talking pretty loud. And and the, the thing about it is I heard one guy say, you know, <laughs> he feels like it's 1973 again. You know, you know, he ain't got to stand in no, in no, uh, no line to get gas, but you might as well because you can't afford it, you know. And the thing, the the, the thing with 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 uh, with Biden is in the, in the black community is not so much his age, it's his policies. Um, you know, guys are you know, black guys are just saying that you know this guy's he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, they're paying more for for this, and up in Boston, they'll tell you quickly the rent's too damn high, and and you know. Food is, is way high. They're closing grocery stores because, you know, the crime has gone up. You know, you can't walk the street at night, you know, comfortably in your own neighborhood. You know, uh, you know, even though they were, they, were the, they were talking about Black Lives Matter, but, but you know, they, 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 they're down, you know, 400 police officers. So, you know, your kids can't go outside, you know. There's, there's, there's camps all over the place. And they're looking at this, and, and most of it is in their neighborhood. You know, so they're like, and nobody's doing anything about it. So they're, they're, they're being, they're looking at it and they're seeing it for themselves. It's not something that somebody's telling them. They're actually living it. And so therefore, you know, it's like in nine, when, 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 you know, the last years of Jimmy Carter, you know, 
with the Arab oil embargo. They didn't do anything about that, you know. So, so what's happening now is is a, is a, a stark awareness of what the hell's going on. Yeah, it's the man's policies, you know. You can't have a gas stove, and in, up in uh, in Boston, you know that really hit hard because you know people people don't use electric heat up there. They use they use gas and they use oil. So it's it's it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I, I don't know if he'll win Massachusetts, but he'll get a good chunk of the black vote. That's interesting. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate that. So let's play this out. If I'm right and the economy really struggles in early 24, I mean, if we get past Christmas, bad Christmas season, uh, you know, some of the stimulus money, Jamie Dimon said September, let, let's say he's a little bit off and it lasts until December. People kind of hang on and have a decent a decent Christmas uh, retailers have an okay year in 24 in the first and second quarter. We see a lot of struggle, a lot of challenges. What is the ceiling for Trump? I mean, if we, you know, we, we always talk about the bottom, I mean, I've always said Trump has the highest floor and lowest ceiling of any candidate in my lifetime. Think about that. Highest floor, lowest ceiling of any candidate in my lifetime. What is Trump's ceiling? If 2024, the economy goes the way that I think it goes, by that I mean the macroeconomic stimulus left all this inflation, and now the money's gone. And you've got the inflation, less money, more inflation. I mean, that's going to lead to dramatic declines in the economy. I'm predicting a lot of layoffs. I think we're going to see unemployment back at about 6, 6.5%, whether that's a good measurement or not. An increase in unemployment's not good for anybody running for uh, for reelection. And how long do you allow that to play out? In, in other words, they're gingerly walking around Biden's birthday, right? I mean, he's 81. He's always been a bit duncy. Now, now he's duncy and and cognitively declined. But but and he has his 81st birthday. But but you know, you still got a competitive race. You still got within the margin of error. You got Trump at 46 or seven. You got Biden at 44 or five. Um, you're hoping some of these indictments and trials change the the tide, but but to that point, what if we're having trials? Tr- what if we're trying Donald Trump for crimes at the same time the economy is hemorrhaging jobs and inflation is still a, a big part of the discourse? Th- there's no way those trials matter as much as our economy. There is no way people care as much about whatever trial and charge Donald Trump's dealing with. If the economy seems to be in precipitous decline, take a break back in a few eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. You are on the air. Hey, fellas, how you doing? Hey, Anthony. Um, can't, can't everyone you got about calling one time a day that's eating me up because last Friday when you had a guest on there and he asked the, um, the guy about when he moved to, Better stay in Africa than stay in Florence, whatever. He asked the wrong guy. Oh, I tried to call back so bad. But I know y'all got a rule about one-time caller, though. That guy, uh, Rookin' Ball, whatever his name is, he's not the person to ask that question. Um, matter of fact, he said that many black people call him Uncle Tom or uh, Sambo or whatever. That's not true. It's 2023. And what it is now is that there are certain black people that – White people, you know, I ain't racist though, but white people use to be a, a spokesperson or to say things that they, if they say, they will be seen racist. Like, for instance, have you ever heard 
Rujan, whatever his name is, or Rick and Bob say anything positive about black people? Never. It's always, they bring up the subject, and they can bring it in where you can talk about black people because he brought it in. Just like Charles Barkley, all of them the same. So he, no, he, he's not Uncle Tom. He's kind of like a, a token piece. And if you're always a minority around the group, you're a token. And as long as you speak about what they want you to speak about, you're always going to hang around. But Tim Scott, was he elected or was he appointed? He was appointed, then elected. Okay, because I don't see him getting that far in South Carolina being a conservative. I mean, he could do what he wants to. But to me, he had absolutely no shot of winning. But um, a lot of black people, they're not voting for, for Trump. For Trump, they're voting against Biden. That's why they're voting for Trump, because we can't take Biden no more. And I appreciate you do ask, you do ask for black people's opinion on stuff, and I appreciate that. Um, I have one more thing to say. Oh, yeah. I'm going to call back Monday, Ken. I've been digging, man, and we got to talk about this cancer thing. I believe we're getting hoodwinked, man. I believe we're getting, I mean, like I said before, any other thing, we look at a, another country and compare ourselves to, like far as the health care or this and that, whatever, and compare how good we are and bad, whatever. But we never compare the cancer rate of another country and what are they doing to have real low cancer rate. I believe major companies like DuPont and the pharmaceutical companies, they have so much money tied into it that they know a lot of stuff that, that's um, giving America cancer. But it's too much money involved. It's too much money in raising for cancer treatment. But I, I honestly believe that we don't look at other countries. And I believe if, if we do do that, we have to cut off. Uh, or no, not cut off. We can sue AC companies, microwave companies, DuPont, the stainless steel company, the plastic company, all the petroleum-based stuff that we use. Dollars know what's giving us cancer, but it'll break down America so bad to our biggest companies who, um, will go bankrupt that they want to keep it quiet and have us raising money. Don't be raising money. Ain't nobody going to find a cure because then their job is gone. But that's just um, – Something I want to say, Anthony, though, Anthony, Anthony, I want to go yeah. back. To, I want to get your take on this because because you've heard me say I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not an African American male. I don't know what makes people do what they do. I mean, I know what I'm motivated. I'm what I'm motivated by. But but do you buy this? Do you buy that African American voters now seem to be more supportive of Trump than they've ever been? And if so, why? I mean, I know what you're saying. They voted against Biden, but 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 I'm reading a lot of polling that says. African-American men in particular are, are more Trump-supporting than they've ever been. Ken, I'm going to tell you, because I had this debate at my um, podcast last week. It's an age limit. If they're 60 and above, ain't, no, ain't nothing you can tell them, they're going for Biden. But the ones 60 and, and below black people, they they conscious, more conscious. But it's something about 60 and above, you can talk to I mean, you can holler all day. They uh, uh, really defend Biden. Really, they don't, they don't really defend Biden. They uh, go down on Trump. Well, Trump did this, Trump did that. And I'm saying, well, Trump is not the president now. You know what I'm saying? Our gas prices, the food, whatever. whatever, whatever. Most of it is Trump's fault. A lot of them listen to the NBC and, you know, the local news, whatever. And I can tell that they get the information from that. That's as far as they can go. You know what I'm saying? But 60, 55 on below. Of black people 
we're more conscious and we're like, nah, he got to go. But a lot of them ain't voting for Trump. They voting against Biden. Gotcha. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. And when you look at some of the data um, in this NBC poll that kind of broke yesterday, um, 18 to 39-year-olds, and it doesn't uh, break it down by race, but 18 to 39-year-olds, Trump went in 46-42. But that, he lost that group by 20 points. I think 22 points, 61-39 in the uh, 2020 election. So 18 to 30, that's a big age cohort, though. I mean, you're talking about a 19 and a 38-year-old or an 18 and a 39-year-old. Um, I'd like to see it 18 to 25, 25 to 39. That 18 to 39, you're getting a lot in there. Uh, what percentage were under the age of 25? What percentage were over the age of 25? What percentage, I mean, are motivated by a vote against Biden? Is Trump more acceptable today than he's ever been? There, there's an interesting question. I don't know how to get to the bottom of that. I mean, I understand that the Biden vote was basically a vote against Trump. I mean, very few people went to the poll believing that Joe Biden was going to be a great president. I mean, he couldn't. There was nothing about his lie that ever suggested he would be you know, a, a great president, a great leader, a great thinker, a movement, transformer. I mean, there was nothing about that, but he wasn't Donald Trump. And for some, that was good enough. Well, now is Trump going to benefit from not being Joe Biden? And what does that say about the electorate? How serious are we when we vote for one guy because he's not the other guy, and four years later we vote for the guy that we didn't vote for? You see where I'm headed? Like, I mean, oops. I mean, how stupid are we if that is? the reason we elect presidents. You elect Biden in 20 because he's not Trump. You elect Trump in 24 because he's not Biden. That may be the beginning of the end for America. <laughs> well, isn't that what you say a lot? We're not a serious oh, We're, we're very unserious. Uh, and we're very led. I mean, the majority of Americans want somebody to make their decision for them. Uh, I'd rather, I mean, I, I, I say this a lot. Um, I like to think for myself. I don't need Josh deciding you know, this issue for me, I like to decide it myself. Rev likes to decide it himself. I mean, to be a thinker, be, you know, somebody make some investment in it, um, like Anthony or not. I mean, he'll, he'll say some things that are a bit controversial, but he say, I'm reading into this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explore more, more about this. Um, I mean, you got to be careful where you explore, but what does that say about the electorate? That's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Have we, we, we've obviously never found ourselves in this position. I mean, there's no living, breathing American who's had a chance to vote for a guy who won and lost the presidency in the general election. I mean, we've had primaries, you know, where guys run and get beat and run again and get beat, and run again and get beat. But we've never had anybody win a primary and a president, a presidency, and then lose it and then ask you to vote for him again. And, and how many people are swayed by that? How serious a vote is that? Josh, I want to hear your opinion. How serious can you be as a voter? If you voted for Biden in 2020 because he's not Trump, and you voted for Trump in 24 because he's not Biden. Take a break. Back in a few. 43-661-0937 is our number. So let's go back to that. Josh, how yes. serious are we if our reasoning and rationale for voting for one candidate this time is because he's not the other candidate when last time it was we voted for the other candidate because he's not this candidate? <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, and I think Anthony talked a little bit about that. You know, a lot of blacks are voting not for Trump, but against Joe Biden. We know that a lot of people voted in 2016, or excuse me, in 2020, because he's not Donald Trump. What does that say about us 
as an electorate? As an electorate, um, it's not a very good sign, though I would say that, you know, this happening now, like you've known this for a while, that we're not a serious electorate, I would think. I don't think we are. I mean, right. but, but I don't, I don't, I, who am I to judge and gauge? I mean, I don't know what people's seriousness need to be about things that I think I'm, I'm probably too serious about some things and not serious enough about, about others. But I do believe, and you said this, Josh, that you should pass some civics test yeah, to be allowed. Well, how many people are, is part of the civic says he's not that guy and that guy's not this guy? Of course it's not. And I think, you know, a, a republic has to have somewhat of an informed electorate and understand. I mean, I, I understand not wanting to vote for Trump. I mean, I, I, I get that. I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons not to vote for Donald Trump. But, but because he's not the other guy, that's a pretty lame excuse. Am I right? Yeah, of course. And, you know, this kind of touches on, I think, most people don't vote or really make any decisions at all based on what might happen. You know, like coming up with a idea of what the future will be like based on the past or the present. You know, so pe- most people are voting what can what is good for me right now. So people voted for Biden because he wasn't Trump. Well, now they're probably going to vote for Trump because things just got worse. And the Republicans have been saying that, but no one believed it until after it happened. So can you be, Rev, can you be a good president in a declining nation? Hmm. Okay, now we're getting a little bit philosophical. <laughs> philosophical here it depends if you can stop the decline well i mean okay but but you you would agree that no single president is going to stop a decline of a nation that has decided to you know i mean do some of the reckless and careless things we've done as a nation so so we'll do but but would you but but stick with me for a second and and if the nation is in decline as i think it is what would inspire you to vote for any incumbent running for re-election as an American president. That's a good point. I mean, not much. And I'm not saying it's Biden's fault we're in decline because I think our decline began long before Joe Biden. But that I would was say some, showed up, but he's been there 100 years. So that, he should. That was going to kind of be my question. Uh, do you believe that we are in a faster decline because Joe Biden was yes. installed in yes. office? Yes. In 2020? Yes. But I think we're pretty damn fast with Trump. I mean, I think the debt bomb, I mean, you know how I feel about that. I think the debt. Is going to eventually be our demise, our unwillingness or inability to control our spending. But I mean, that that's going to eventually cause America to collapse, uh, probably on itself. And I mean, you know, there's a little bit of me in the weirdest way imaginable that would rather see a Democrat of the White House when it does go down the drains. Because think about Hoover, and you know, FDR came after Hoover, and a Republican. I mean, they wandered around to the wilderness for 20 years and people blame blamed somebody. it. Yeah, I mean, and it, you know, there's got to be a boogeyman. We do a good job of trying to find a boogeyman, identify that boogeyman, and associate you know, him with a political party or other. I mean, I don't know what Trump can do. Trump's never suggested to anybody he has any interest in the debt. I mean, if I believe that the debt will eventually lead to our demise and neither candidate have expressed an interest in the debt, I'm stuck with, yeah, but I agree with him on a few other deregulating you know, pro-business sorts of, of agenda issues? Um, or am I am I voting for Trump because he's not Biden? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm good about, you know, judging and measuring what other people do and say and behave. What, what am I basing my support of? And, and, and mine is fundamentally in 
continuing to disrupt political normalcy. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Um, as far as why people vote for candidates and is a legitimate reason to vote for a candidate to vote against the other person, can you think of any bigger example of that than Hillary Clinton in 2016? Mm, that's a good one. I mean, I, I can agree to that. Yeah, that. That's a good one. A lot of people just didn't. They'd had enough of the Clintons. Susan Sarandon. I mean, think about your hardcore liberals that came out against Hillary Clinton. But they had been in love with Barack Obama. Well, no, they had been in love with the idea of Bernie Sanders. Well, I'll agree with that. But what I'm saying is it's it's a little bit like going coming after Obama would be like coming after Reagan or coming after, you know, Nick Saban at Alabama. I mean, there's a certain standard, whether you agree with his philosophy or not. Obama was damn good at politics, and Hillary was not. Well, so uh, right after Reagan came George Bush. You know, good guy. Could you say he's articulate and likable? No, and he and he let the or he let my side down by not continuing um, the Reagan Revolution in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so personality does matter, but um, should know, it, Jeff? For sure, should it? I mean, I agree it does. Yeah, should it? Okay, absolutely. okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look, you know, Trump just gave a speech the other day where he talked unsolicited. He was at a middle school. He talked about his Russiagate situations. Okay. Should any president or person running for president be talking about that at a middle school? No. I probably Should, wouldn't. No. I mean, like, and, and I mean, in here, he actually acknowledged, like, yeah, my, my, she believed me on this. Like, she says, because I'm a germaphobe, this one she believed. Here is a guy who is unfaithful to his wives, you know, and, and so character does matter. Um, I, I'm not saying that's why you vote for president, but don't discount it. But, what if, what, but and, what if what if there is no character anywhere? No. Well, that's a good point. Like, and, and have we had really good characters for a while? I don't. I mean, I as much as I disagreed with his policies, probably the most virtuous person that was president, you'd have to go back to George Bush Jr. Agree. Or, or, or 43. That may be the, the last, well, you and I, and this is a broad characterization, but good and decent applied to George H.W. Bush. I don't know if it applied to anybody after that. Uh, I haven't seen it. I mean, like, ditto, say what you want about Barack Obama, pretty scandal-free. You know, um, not saying you like his policies. I didn't like his policies. I don't agree with, uh, you know, uh, Obamacare is a terrible bill. It's a compromise, which some compromises shouldn't be made. Um, you know, so it didn't it didn't help solve any problems. It just made the problems worse. So let me ask you a question. Uh, I, I'd be interested in your take on this because you asked me a million. I got one for you. So if we believe that the system of government is bipartisan, the lobbyists and consultants and insiders have so much influence over, the, over the, kind of the machine that governs this nation and it erodes character. And it's hard to be moral and ethical and honest and decent when you get in the mix of that muck. Why wouldn't you want someone like Trump 
the, the political blunt instrument, the wrecking ball. I mean, I don't, I don't know where we go from here, and you've heard me say I don't know where we go from here. But, but if you believe that the system has eroded high character and morals and ethics, why wouldn't you be a Trumpster and want it just belong to smithereens? Yeah, so there is a thing of um, it does matter, and I'm, I'm sorry, Donald Trump has none. I saw something the other day. Can you see Donald Trump petting a dog or owning a dog? Can you see Donald Trump um, like Jimmy Carter building housing for the poor? Could you see Donald Trump doing anything non-selfishly? Honestly. Mm. I saw him on video going to his granddaughter's class the other day. That He was pretty human. Sure, and- sure, sure he did. One time you've seen him do it. And it was a bunch of cameras around. But, but right? I think it's unfair to judge his internal character from afar. I'm just not comfortable you doing that. You ever seen that. him walk in a church? Well, I mean, I, but, but you're asking me to, to make a judgment about a man's character, and, and I can't do that from afar. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna put the pants on of moral, like Donald Trump is going to do good for America because everybody else isn't doing good for America, why would you think that? Because he did. What, what did he do? Tell me what he did. I mean, the economy was roaring. I mean, I, I, buddies of okay, mine in business were, were, were incredibly happy with the way things were going. I mean, I, I don't know how many business sure. guys that came to me and said, look, I, I was nervous about Trump, but I got to give him credit. I mean, he gets the economy. He gets business. I mean, we're, we're doing well. I mean, the, the people that come in and regulate my banks aren't bureaucrats to believe I'm running a criminal enterprise. I mean, they're former bankers that, that understand the relationship. The people that come in from OSHA and regulate manufacturing, these guys understand the yin and yang, the give and take of government and, and the private sector. And when Obama was president, I mean, I felt like I was being interrogated every time they come in. Um, and and that, that's my world now. I mean, I, I'm not an academic. I'm not intellectual. I, I'm a business guy. So when, when I speak to these people who are concerned that he's too far out of the mainstream, they were all nearly unanimously going like, man, I've been real pleasantly surprised at, at the way he actually governed. And you, and, you, and you honestly believe Donald Trump had an effect on local municipalities' business practices? Sure. No question. Okay. but And you believe Biden has a negative? I don't believe that. I know that to be true. I know he had an so, impact on business. So did, so did Woodrow Wilson cause the Great Depression? Probably had a hand in it. Did did Jimmy Carter actually cause the energy crisis? He probably had a hand in it. Did, did Bill Clinton build the dot com bubble then? Probably had a hand in it in some way, shape, or form. What was the stock market doing the four years before Donald Trump became president? Uh it was roaring, wasn't it? So, so Obama was a good president. But I mean, we're, we're deficit spending. I mean, I, my argument has always been deficit spending is accelerated or, or or caused depreciation in certain asset classes that there is no real asset to pre- I mean, it doesn't matter who the president is. If we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year, we don't have. It's going to lead to inflation, but it's also going to lead to asset in, inflation or asset appreciation, whether it's tangible or intangible assets. So. When when the housing market was going great in the 2000s, okay, and everybody points to, oh, the problem. But see, Jeff, I don't believe the housing market is was going great in 2000s. 
Oh, it, oh, it certainly was. If you were if you were a home builder in in, in two thousand three, two thousand four, you never seen anything like it. But I mean, if in retrospect, we realized the mistakes we made. I mean, we answered to those big mistakes we made. I mean, it looked to be doing well, but in all honesty, it was distorted, manipulated, propped up by the government and the Fed. Uh, and business, can't we can't we acknowledge that business did this to us? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know if you listened so, I mean, this morning, but but I, mean, I, I said earlier that there's no doubt about it. The people who have lobbied the government most successfully were self-interested. They were not lobbying for a better America <laughs> or a better, better human experiment or Jeff and Ken to be able to kind of debate their, their mindset. No, that they were there to get work done. And, and the work they got done by convincing Congress to do X, Y, or Z at the end of the day was not good for, for, for regular, average, everyday Americans. And, and and just just to tell you, every 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 day, average Americans barely register on business. They could care less. The consumer is a global consumer now. They could care less. When we talk about the differences between now, and Jeff, we got a hard break. Top of the hour. I'm sorry, my man. Sure. Enjoy the no conversation. Problem. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. That's my first shot across the bow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, take that, Tigers. <laughs> Who's your hootie in the blowfish? Huh? Who's your hootie in the blowfish? As Darius famously said, get some. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. There's love the Gamecocks. I mean, he is a yep. huge, huge supporter of uh, of USC. I think Darius should have a concert. And raise about a million dollars and give it all to NIA. That's what I'm pulling <laughs> like for. It. I like uh, it. to do that sooner and than I love later. That that song is now part of the pregame festivities and activities at Williams Bryce. Well, that, that was my first shot across the yeah. bow. They, they'll hear that. Yep. The Tiger faithful will hear that. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. I went on Tiger Net once the game was announced as a night game because I know the Clemson uh, narrative, and it's the same way with the Gamecocks. I mean, one rode in and one rode out. I mean, any Gamecock fan, if you go on Big Spur. Or if you go on Gamecock Central and they're talking about going to Clemson, it's the old, you know, only one road in and one road out. You'll be there forever. Uh, when you when it's in Columbia and you go on Tiger Net or, or talk to Jason or somebody, allclemson.com, allclemsontigers.com, it's um, it's a, it's a wasteland. It's a dump. I mean, there, there are all these warehouses and buildings and you got to be careful and it's dark and it's a night game. And the SEC wouldn't have had it any other way um, except a night game. I mean, I read that the other night. You knew damn well it's going to be a night game. The SEC network is in charge of this, and they want to make you play in that wasteland at night, so you'll be freaked out and scared. You know, walking through these dark parking lots trying to get to a stadium. Um, the concern I have for South Carolina is the Clemson defensive front. I mean, that—that's kind of my. I mean, if I want to get down to the weeds, and we'll do this Wednesday, I'm sure it rivals the store divided. I mean, I think the Gamecocks can can can. I mean, if they can pass protect. And and I, I guess Clemson will trust Nate Wiggins to play Xavier Leggett man, and I kind of like South Carolina's chances if Rattler can get some time to throw the ball. Anyway, we'll get into that. Xavier, so but good. um, but yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish. That's my first shot across the bow. Might be the best shot that I've got to fire, but we shall we shall see in due time. Let's go to the phone. Billy and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, Ken, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. And so one of the um, – y'all were talking on the last segment about – you put the question out about those who voted for Biden, and now they switch 
would they switch to vote for Trump? And in my personal opinion, that that is one of the problem would be one of the problems in my in my opinion um, with what's wrong with America, because if, if people couldn't actually see, um, especially if they were a longtime Democrat, if they couldn't if they couldn't see the issues and the problems with that party, and now they switch to Trump, I mean that that means they're voting out of emotions instead of out of principles. And I think that's one of the major issues that we got going on. And then the call, I think the caller name was Anthony, uh, said that blacks, and I'm black, by the way, but Anthony said blacks vote for, they're voting against Biden and not for Trump. Well, Anthony, you can't speak for all blacks because I'm black and I'm not voting against Biden and I'm voting for Trump. I actually voted for Trump in 2016. I voted for Trump in 2020, and I will vote for Trump and Trump only in 2024. I'm so devoted to Trump, voting for Trump. If he's not on the ballot, I won't vote at all. That That's my stance. And last Why is that, Billy? Why, why, the, why, why the support of Trump from your perspective? What has he done to deserve the, the amount of, I guess, intense support you're giving him? Well, one of, there, there are several things. One of, the, one of the things I like about Trump, is that he says what a lot of people are thinking, but too afraid to say it. I mean, that, I, I, I find that, I, I, I admire that. He, 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 he says what people are already thinking, black and white, but they will, not, they will not speak it. They're too afraid. For example, he says, he says to the black, um, when he was running, he says, uh, you voting for you were voting for the Democrats. He said it to the black community. You're voting for the Democrats um, for years. Look at your schools. Look at your neighborhoods. Look look at your condition. He said, vote. Give me a chance. What do you have to lose? Well, that was the God knows truth. <laughs> but how many people would actually say that? He spoke the truth. People people already were thinking that they were just too afraid and cowardly to say it. And then when he say it, then he's a racist. But we were already thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. That's kind of an interesting, an interesting uh, point. And I mean, if we're talking about Jeff and I were debating character, you know, and integrity and honor and decency, if the if the voter goes from Trump to Biden and back to Trump, what does that say about the character of the voter? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to impugn anybody's character, and I do believe Billy's exactly right. A lot of the a lot of the curiosity of Trump. And I don't know if it's support or not. I mean, it can be a detractor or a supporter. I believe in, in their bone of bones, in their heart of hearts, in that place they don't want anybody to, to recognize or talk about. They respect that Trump says what he, what he says. I mean, I, I remember when he said, um, you know, why would you keep voting for the party that's kept in bondage, y'all? Well, I mean, why? I mean, it, this party has basically created this generational class that depends on government to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, that's what Trump said. Maybe he didn't say it exactly that way, but he inferred, you know, your loyalty to the Democrats. Where does that got you? I mean, in all honesty, you know, 92% of African-American voters vote Democrat. Why? I mean, what has that gotten you? And I think Trump basically said, I don't know what I'm offering you, but what have you got to lose? I think there were a lot of white and black people that felt that way. I mean, I don't think that's about race. I think there were very, I think there were a tremendous amount of Americans who just felt, what have I got to lose if I vote for this guy? You know, why wouldn't I vote for this guy? 
that they're telling me Hillary Clinton and they're telling me, you know, all these other candidates are better. Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio and um, Chris Christie twice and now Nikki Haley. And, you know, what, what, have, what have you got to lose? How much courage? This is kind of an interesting subconscious. How much courage does it take to vote for Trump again? I mean, you know the, the, the way they're going to attack him. I mean, once he's the nominee, and here's what people don't understand. The mainstream media is cheerleading Nikki Haley because they don't believe Haley will govern a whole lot different than Joe Biden. Um, but the trains will still run on time. The lobbyists and consultants will still run uh, the joint. And, you know, that works for them. I mean, they, they, they are part of that club. So, so if you're part of the club, the last thing you want is an interloper. You don't want anybody coming from the outside. But I mean, that's why they're, 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 okay, we can live with Nikki Haley. Because Nikki's proven that she's not going to be a disruptor. I mean, she, she wants to get rich. She wants to be on boards. You know, she, she um, I, I guess the conservative talking points is what she'll exclaim and proclaim. But, but all of a sudden, Nikki moves up three points of the poll, and she's surging. Trump moves up two or three points, and, you know, Trump's another day at the office. Um, it's just, I mean, it, it's, and it just goes back to the conversation Drew and I have. Um, it would be difficult for me, and I understand Drew. And what he and Ronald McDaniel are trying to do in regards to playing this thing out. But it would be hard for me. If I were chair of the party, chair of the RNC, it'd be hard for me not to begin circling the wagons and say, like him or not, here's our guy. And I mean, he's at what, 58%, nationally 57% in the, uh, in the Republican primary. There's this crazy belief I read over the weekend. And I mean, you can talk yourself into believing anything, but there's some of these Haley supporters that believe if they can get DeSantis out and get Trump mano a mano, they can win. And every poll I've read said about two of DeSantis's voters go to Trump for every one that goes to Haley. I mean, DeSantis has tried to, you know, a little bit establishment, a little bit normal, a little bit abnormal, a little bit America first. But I think Nikki's clearly defined her lane as the establishment candidate. I'm going to be the establishment candidate. And I think she stepped in it last week. When she said, you know, anybody posting anonymously should have to register with the government and uh, enter into a database. and That made me very uncomfortable. Well, I mean, that, that's not conservatism. I, I, mean, that's just I couldn't not, figure out why she even went that, there. That's, that's out there. But, I mean, she retracted or tried to walk it back. But, I mean, Nikki wants the government to be in charge, and she wants to be in charge of the government. I mean, if you want to be in charge of the government, why wouldn't you want to be in charge? I mean, it's kind of oxymoronic to think any other, any other way. But I think it's so interesting that there are people who voted for Trump in 16, voted for Biden in 20 because he wasn't Trump, and may turn around and vote for Trump in 24 because he's not Biden. I mean, the state of the electorate, we're talking about, once again, I go back to Jeff's conversation. You know, we don't have any character and integrity and decency and, and virtue. No, we don't. You're right. We don't. And that's bipartisan. I mean, that's absolutely bipartisan. But, but what about the voter? How much integrity do we have as voters when we, we jump from one side of the political equation to the other? I, you know, and I guess to some degree, I understand the independence. Uh, I'm an independent in 16. I'm voting for this guy. Why? Because he's not like the rest of them. Uh, and then in 20, you're given an opportunity to vote for an old hand, somebody who's been around the block, somebody who knows the way Washington works. And you've watched the media fan the flames of this craziness and unpredictability of Trump. And you're like, I don't know, man, that makes me tired. I mean, it makes me have to pay more attention to it than I really want to. 
um, I'm voting for this guy because I think he's a bit harmless. And they'll kind of lead him along on a leash and tell him what to do and when to do it. And in all honesty, the country's probably better off if we're being run by committee, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, the, the the economy struggles. Inflation is not transitory. Uh, the, debate, the, the debt accelerates or the deficit accelerates in a way we never imagined. And you kind of, you know, you begin paying attention a little bit now because we got these debates and Trump's not at the debate. And you're talking about 91 indictments. And you're going, I don't know, man. But it seemed like the guy did a better job than the guy's doing now. I mean, we're in the weeds. I mean, we're, we're talking about polls and persuasions and percentages. And uh, yeah, as we say a lot, the, the, the majority of Americans are just like, you know, turn that game. <laughs> I want right. to watch that nonsense. We're still a um, year away. Well, I mean, we are a year away, but we aren't, Rev. I mean, I think about this. So tomorrow is our last political show until after Thanksgiving. You got Black Friday. I mean, that, that's when I mean, the world just changes. I've run for office, guys. I know the world fundamentally changes after um, Thanksgiving. So you've got traveling more than ever. You've got people just not paying attention. They're worried about how much G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip costs this year and how much do I have in my bank and do I need to work some overtime. And, and then you got this, this uh, what I call a softening, of the, a softening of the economy. So I just believe that the month of December is going to be zero attention paid to politics. We got a debate. Nobody's watching them anyway. I think I saw the last debate was 2.9 million viewers. I bet it was 3-1 to begin with, revised down to 2-9. So very few Americans are watching the debates because Trump's not there. And, um, I mean, he's the attention getter. He's the guy that, I mean, he would be the headliner. So you get to January, the Iowa caucus is January 15. So when we get back paying attention to politics, you got kind of New Year's hangover. I mean, it, it's its own. I mean, we're in January. And, and I believe that Trump wins Iowa. I believe Trump wins New Hampshire. And I think it's over. I mean, I, you know, by the time South Carolina in February, I think it's over. Uh, I think the, the the primary is over. So you get to February, March, and April, and then you get to summer. The, the big question is going to be in early 24, is it Biden or not? I mean, that's not our problem. I'm a Republican. You're a Republican. Josh is a Republican. A lot of our listeners are Republicans. That's not our battle to fight. I mean, they've got to figure that out. And how do they orchestrate? Um, if they're smart, and they are. I mean, there are a lot of smart Democrats. Um, the David Axelrods of the world, um, they will work behind the scenes in the month of December when nobody is paying attention. And they'll try to, I mean, if they're going to change horses, they'll do it in December. Because I, you're hearing a little bit what of chatter mean, now from Axelrod well, and Well, I mean, Axelrod said last week it would be wise. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, uh, hey, Joe, you really want to do this? I mean, we're, we're I mean, pulling the strings publicly, anyway. You know, well, I mean, when Axelrod speaks, that's Obama. I mean, that, that's, I mean, Obama and Axelrod probably talk every day, I would imagine. So Axelrod and Obama are talking. And the word wise, it would be wise. Um, no, yeah, let, let Joe make this decision. He's earned the right to make that decision. None of that. None of that. It, was, it would be wise for Joe to step aside. Um, I saw Axelrod yesterday say something about father time. In other words, let's give Joe his due. He's been a good man and a good president. He's done all he knows how to do. But Father Time's undefeated. And his 80, 81st birthday, but I mean, the mainstream media is not going to tell you today that Joe Biden is 81. I'll say this. How bad a president does Donald Trump need to be 
to justify voting for an 81-year-old man to begin a four-year term. I mean, forget dementia, forget cognitive decline. I mean, how bad do you think Trump sucks at the job of president for you to go into a ballot box or a voting booth and vote for a dude that you know is already 81 and will be nearly 86 years old? He'll be nearly 82 by the time we elect him. No, I'm sorry. He'll be, yeah, he'll be yeah, nearly 82 by the time we elect him. Um, he'll be nearly 86 by the time he rides off into the sunset if he's a second elected president or a second term elected president. I mean, how bad do you think Trump is if you go down that road? Forget, uh, you know, well, Trump's not quite uh, a spring chicken either, but nobody questions, or I don't. I mean, I've seen the media try to do this. Whether Trump has it, you know, his wits about him. I mean, he's a fairly, I mean, he makes mistakes, but good Lord, I make mistakes and I'm nowhere near as old as those guys are. You speak a lot, you make mistakes, you say things. Um, You you have to be corrected and you stand corrected. You correct yourself at times. Um, But when Biden said earlier this week or last week, when Biden said uh, dictator, that was not cognitive decline. I mean, that's Biden being a dunce. I mean, that's Biden stepping in it. He always has. He probably always will. That's probably one of the more fluid moments he's had. I mean, one of the more lucid moments he's had is when he actually said he's a dictator. Now, you know, um, Blinken. Oh, he cringed. I mean, I wish we had a, uh, we don't have any video abilities here on Wake Up Carolina, but you should watch him. Oh, oh God. Did he say that? Yeah, he did. Did he say it because he's got dementia? No, he said it because he's Joe. And Joe's always said things that we scratch our heads. Why? when, where, and how. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Wednesdays. <laughs> That's right. Is somebody on the phone? Short week. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's short week. David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. Uh, I call it Bay City Roller Baker. Saturday night. Uh, yeah, Darius on early. He lived at Honeycombs. Kim, there's really people scared of William Fries. I, I mean, I'm thinking about this now. Clemson people, are they really scared to go there? I've always heard that say I'm kind of an urban legend on their side. They say because the, the stadium is off campus and in kind of an industrial wasteland <laughs> that if you have to park in, in some of the um not-so-preferred locations, it can get a little spooky walking to the stadium, well, especially hey, man, if you're donning, uh, an orange, I, especially you're donning an orange sweatshirt. Hey, brother, hey, man, imagine them, ACC. Imagine them going to a game in Atlanta or Baltimore or somewhere, man. They, I, but, hey, I, I was talking about Saturday night. Trump's going to be there. Ken, you're not going to go there when Trump's there? I don't know. Um, I told Rev this morning, I'm contemplating. <laughs> man, I just don't have it in me you're gonna to go. have build big tailgates week after week. I just don't. Hey, hey, let me ask you this, my man. If Melania was there, would you go? Well, if she comes to the tailgate, yeah, I'd probably be inclined <laughs> to. I'd probably go watch the, the South Carolina Gamecocks and Clemson Tigers play one another. <laughs> Hey, any time I think about this song called Long Cool Woman with a Black Dress, that's her. If she would only put on them uh, garnet boots. Uh, and I think that song starts out with Saturday night. But uh, I want to say something nice. I'm going to be a nice guy to Democrats. Rosalind Carter, she was a first lady back in the day, man. And I, I actually went to Plains, Georgia. This is a weird story. I don't go into too, too much detail, but. When I passed her in my hometown, 
somewhere along the line, he took a promotion. He ended up in Plains, Georgia. And uh, he called my parents, and he said, can y'all come visit me? And this is right between the time that Carter got elected and he got inaugurated. So I ended up in Plains, Georgia back in 1977. And uh, I always loved the Carters because can you imagine if Alexa had Rosalind's voice? Uh, who's playing this weekend? Clemson versus South Carolina. I mean, that'll lower your blood pressure so much. But these were just the nicest people in the world. And and we went up there, and I we went to I went to the Lutheran Church. He's a Baptist. Ended up at the Baptist Church out in the parking lot. Uh, and Ann Compton was there with ABC News. We're talking about you were talking about Stephanopoulos show. This was on a Sunday morning, and they didn't have I don't think they had a Sunday morning show for ABC back then. But anyway, uh, she was doing her little thing, and I was just kind of looking at this woman. What is she talking about? Blah blah blah. But I'll go back to this, man. Uh, take the 1976 Electoral College map back in those days. The Democrats, they won every state in the Southeast except for Virginia. They did not win. Jimmy Carter did not win a state west of Texas. So that kind of shows you how the evolution of our government goes. So sometimes you have to go back into these days. Uh, to see what's going on with government. Now, if you give a John Brown, you'll go back and do stuff like that. But I'll say this, man, there ain't never been a show called Northern Hospitality or Northern Charm. So when these Democrats get these Southerners or whatever on their ballot, they win. And I wish Rosalind Carter, uh, ask Alexa or whatever, ask Rosalind, and, and your blood pressure will go down. Y'all have a good day, my man. Thank you, David. Yeah, 77 years of matrimony. Uh, Jimmy Carter was admitted to hospice or was placed in hospice. He's 99. We heard toward the end of the week last week that Rosalind Carter had uh, been put in hospice or under hospice care at the age of 96. You know, it's, it's kind of two numbers stick out to me. Um, 43 years post-presidency. I mean, they left office in 81. Reagan gets elected in 80, right? Carter in 76. Reagan in 80. Takes office in January of 81. Um, they had about 43 years of a post-presidency and celebrated, what, 43 of the 77 years they were married, um, just good, decent people. And you wonder, Rev, the word good and decent, Josh, it's hard to be good and decent when the system does not reward goodness and decency. And I do believe that, you know, somebody asked me uh, a while back, you know, if I could get one thing changed about Washington, what would it be? And you think term limits. I mean, that's where everybody's mind goes. You know, we got to get these people. But but I don't lobby reform might be one of them. Um, I mean, that might be before term limits as far as I'm concerned. And I don't know the answer to that because I, I mean, I understand the right to petition your government is guaranteed in the Constitution. And I mean, if Josh owns a company and Josh's company interacts with the government, Josh should be inclined or should be allowed. And, and you know, once you're allowed, you're probably inclined to be a, a contributor to a campaign to make sure he's your guy and kind of siding with you on whatever policy debate. But I just wonder, um, I mean, when, when you think Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, I do. I mean, I think goodness and decency. Um, now, once again, I think he was, I mean, I think he got a little extreme on some of his positions late in, in life. He was a little bit sure of himself. 
I mean, you, you hear that a good, decent man, but real sure of himself. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was a nuclear physicist, highly educated, very smart. Um, not such a good president. And we're talking about Jimmy Carter, like he's passed away. He didn't, but he and Rosalind were a team, obviously having spent 77 years of, uh, of a holy matrimony, uh, taught Sunday school. Jimmy Carter did, uh, up until his health really, really, really began, um, to decline there. But I don't know how you could. And then once again, I don't know how much more lobbying there is today in 2023 than there was in 1976, 7, 8, 9, 10. You know, I, I don't have any idea. Uh, I, I do know that Jimmy Carter preceded a transformative political figure. I mean, I dare say everybody remotely close to my age has been influenced by Ronald Reagan in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we've had a debate on this show about does Reagan get too much credit for this and not enough credit for that? Uh, did we misrepresent Reagan's, uh, you know, diplomatic agenda here and and not so much over there? I mean, Reagan, like anybody else, is a mixed bag and a very complicated. But, but you know, Carter, the Carter malaise, I mean, I've told this story over the air uh, many times about my dad. Uh, my dad started a business in 1963. In about 1975, he made the big decision, as we like to say in business, Rev, roll the dice and went to the bank, borrowed money, bought land, built two buildings. Um, Carter gets elected. Things just aren't going well. Uh, we appear to be weak and struggling. The economy, inflation, the Volcker. Remember Volcker raising uh, rates as fast as he did and for such an extreme 18 19%. Uh, Fed fund rate, and, uh, I mean, it, you know, that would have been Carter got elected. It, see, it's kind of interesting here. When I look at the Carter presidency, remember Nixon took us off the gold standard in 73. Carter gets elected in 76. So fiat currency is kind of a newfound phenomenon. I mean, it really is, and I don't know that we understood it because I've argued two of the worst moments in American history was the day Nixon did that and the moment in 2007 or eight that we decided – to normalize this academic theory called quantitative easing. I mean, if you really go back and try to trace inflation and when it just lost its mind, it would have been in 73. So think of this. See, and this is kind of interesting. So in 73, Nixon, quote, unquote, takes us off the gold standard. And inflation increased that quickly that Volcker had to do what he had to do to try and control that evil beast, as he called it, inflation. The rates went up to uh, 18, 19%. If I'm not mistaken, um, within the last 10 years, there were people getting a 17% yield on 30-year T-bills. I mean, imagine wow. that. Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, by buying a 30-year treasury and the government guaranteeing you a rate of 16, 17, 15% um, interest. That's a pretty good gig with the full faith and credit of the United States government as as the backstop, maybe, I mean, I, I doubt I do it tomorrow, but maybe next week, I mean, I'll get a little time. Maybe I can plunder around and find out from Nixon in 73, taking us off the gold standard. Now he resigns and then Ford gets, you know, to be president. Agnew dies. No, Agnew gets in trouble. Ford gets nominated vice president. Ford, <laughs> Nixon gets in trouble. Gerald Ford 
is the only president we've ever had not elected to vice president or president. I mean, think about that. He was not elected vice president, nor was he elected president. Um, He was a Michigan man. Um, I wonder if he's stealing signals back then. But but anyway, no, in 73, we go off the gold standard. Inflation goes through the roof. Volcker raises rates. Carter is desperate for some sort of, um, I don't know, uh, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Can't. Nick, uh, Reagan gets elected. And, and Reagan probably had as much to do with shaping the modern conservative political movement I ain't no probably. I mean, I'm sure he did. I mean, he would have been the the single person that led a conservative revolution uh, more so than anybody probably. I mean, not probably. I'm sure in my lifetime. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number as we conclude this Monday morning edition of Wake Up Carolina. I want to thank our listeners for being patient. Monday's a grind especially the first couple of hours on a Monday, uh, especially heading into a holiday. It's kind of a weird week. Uh, you know, radio is kind of a forward momentum building uh, experience, and we're not going to build a lot of momentum this week because Monday and Tuesday are the only two days we're talking about that politics. means you have to hit the ground running on and Monday. Gotta, and I didn't feel like running too fast <laughs> this morning at about um, 6.05 or whenever it was uh, we went on the air. But a lot of you out there need your political fix. We need it as well. We're certainly thankful to have you out there. But Wednesday, and I guess this started our second, maybe third year on the air, but we decided, because um, a lot of us pay attention to football. Uh, Josh is kind of learning that this rivalry is a big deal. Their respective programs mean a lot to the fan bases in South Carolina. I mean, I can personally say as somebody who, Ask Clemson and Carolina fans to vote for him, uh, you know, running for office. It's uh, it's an intensely, intensely followed sporting event. It is the biggest sporting event in the state of South Carolina. I mean, I know the golfers like to say the Heritage and the race fans like to say the, uh, the Southern 500 on Labor Day weekend. We should be proud of both of those, and we're fortunate to have them in our state. But this state mobilizes around the Carolina-Clemson uh, football game and if you're not a fan of either team, I feel sorry for you. I, I really mean that because it's such a, a fun time to be a part of it. Um, I mean, as a Gamecock fan, you, you kind of, well, I mean, obviously you've lost more than you've won over the long haul, but it's still a lot of fun to sense the excitement to be around it. And, uh, and rivals are store divided. Will Webster and his crowd have uh, welcomed with open, open arms uh, our attendance over there. Uh, we'd love to have you. I mean that sincerely. Yeah, we want to invite everyone out. We'll have uh, free Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee. Yep. And, uh, Krispy Kreme on West Palmetto. Florence. And we're normally, I hate to say this, Gamecocks, it's normally about two to one. I had a Gamecock fan text me a few moments ago and say, okay, how many people and what percentage? I said, I don't know how many, but it's normally about two to one Clemson fans over Gamecock fans. And, I mean, I, you know, lately Clemson's had a lot more to uh, crow about. That sounds like a take on the Gamecocks, but, it, I mean, they have. They've had a lot more to be excited about, um, but both teams won Saturday. Uh, Clemson finished strong. The Gamecocks have won three in a row. Um, Kentucky was one of those questionable games, and in retrospect, the only game that Gamecock fans should really regret is the Florida game. Um, but the North Carolina yeah. game, okay, that's a toss-up game. You lose it, uh, but but the, the Florida game was one that just got away, and they would be bowl eligible. Yeah, Missouri, you know, that uh, – 
We thought that would might have been a toss-up early in the year, but they turned out to be a little better than we anticipated. Missouri turned out to be a good bit better yeah. than we expected them to be. And give them credit. I mean, they played the transfer portal. They got their General Assembly to change some laws stipulating what they could and could not do. And um, and they pounced. So give um, Missouri a lot of credit for being better than we expected them to be. Um, both thought his volunteers were ready for the Bulldogs. They ain't. Um, <laughs> and they got smoked by Georgia in in Neyland, but um, but the Gamecocks and Tigers will kick it off at 7.30 in that industrial wasteland <laughs> that is so dangerous at night known as Williams-Brice Stadium. Um, and I know the feeling. I mean, when you're a fan of your team and you go to your stadium, you know your routine. When you're a fan of a team going to a visiting stadium and it's a bit hostile, I mean, it can get a little bit intimidating if you aren't careful. Should we park here or not? Should we walk through here or not? Should I wear the gray sweatshirt that says Clemson or the orange sweatshirt? You know, the the, the gray can be a little less uh, obvious. But uh, I mean, I, I just I've always wear the felt, orange. I, I love the of course. The I mean, yeah, things. and and you know, uh, anything I'm associated with is going to be we're going to treat everybody w- with respect. And uh, you know, Clemson fans deserve to go to Williams Bryce without fear of something stupid happening. Just like Gamecock fans deserve to go to Clemson without fear. Of something, um, of something stupid oh, happening. Although uh, you mentioned the Florida game, we had an obnoxious Florida fan sitting right near us, and I guess he might have been drunk or whatever. But but he was right when the tides turned in their favor at the very end of that game, and you know Gamecock fans were not uh, not feeling it. He took it all the. I mean, he went crazy and was in everybody's face. I mean, it almost got physical. It was that bad. Yeah, and uh, that's when I leave. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm too old. I, I have too many birthdays. I don't want to get hurt in a football stadium. It would have been a day. I'd have dove first into that. But but now, no. Like, don't even make eye contact. I don't even want any – I don't want to see that. Um, let's do some uh, – takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia, Josh, if you don't mind. Thanks to Pepsi to Florence. Uh, and then they do a lot of um, – I mean, I've seen some of the commemorative – Gamecock bottles and Clemson bottles from Pepsi-Cola. They take a lot of pride in, you know, being such a big part of the Carolina, South Carolina uh, in particular. I got a question that kind of um, centers around uh, the rivalry. 843-661-0937 is our number. For about 60 years, for more than six decades, the, uh, the football competition between the Gamecocks and Tigers was played on Big Thursday. And I read an article, I don't know, a couple of weeks back, getting ready for the game, that um, the state newspaper, a reporter, a sports reporter, called it a combination picnic, fashion parade, political rally, and drinking bout <laughs> for approximately 4,500 um, spectators. Obviously, the annual affair got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, these small wooden bowl stadiums got replaced by yeah, some of these steel and concrete behemoths that have been added on and added on and, uh, you know, re- rehabbed or what about re- re- uh, renovated and renovated. But um, but Big Thursday ended in what year? 843-661-0937. What was the last year the Gamecocks and Tigers played on Big Thursday? Once again, first correct answer Wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays T-shirts. Last year, the Big Thursday was when? Hmm. 
Come on now. Come on, Gamecocks and Tigers. I'm going to look that um, one up. I would say who won it, but you know who won it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. But uh, last year of Big Thursday, 843-661-0937 is our number. And I was going to say, we, uh, have, we have a replenished supply of T-shirts. Terrific brought us by some new uh, Wake Up Carolina shirts on Friday. So yep. we've got a good supply. We've got some Pepsi product and some Takes Mondays to Make Fridays T-shirts waiting for the first correct answer and we finally have a caller that wants to try hi you're on the air what's your guess uh 1968 nope nope 843-661-0937 big thursday was the way of the rivalry for many years they ended that tradition when hi you're on what's your answer hey 1959 yep 1959 was the last year the gamecocks and tigers played on big thursday at the state fairground who is this where you calling from Hey, this is BT. Who won that game, Ken? I think Clemson won that game, 27 to nothing. You know what's amazing to me? Hey, we'll get you, BT. I'll get you back to Josh, and he'll get all your information. It's amazing to me how Clemson and their elite status declined when everybody is able to pay players. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. There you go. Mm. It is Mm. rivalry week, is it not? Mm. What one team did we see decline probably more than any other when paying players became legal Hmm. and the way of the world? I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, There's going to be a lot of just saying this week, is there not? It's all in fun. Uh, 843. Well, we're giving the number. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence. And I mean that sincerely. Thanks to you, our listeners. Um, We'll have some fun with politics tomorrow. And then it's football on Wednesday. Enjoy your day.